This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa la'aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wa la'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lahu waliyu al-salihin. وأشهد أن نبينا وسيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 11th day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijra and this is our 11th session of the reading and the commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalain by the two famous scholars Jalal al-Din al-Mahalli and Jalal al-Din al-Suyuti alihima rahmatullahi ta'ala and before we begin with today's session and we're beginning with the tafsir of Surah Hud, one of the things that we can see very clearly so thus far and it continues throughout the rest of the tafsir is the efforts that the two Jalals have placed into mentioning the Qira'at. And often when they come across the Qira'ah, they will mention at least some of its variations, if not all of them, to the extent that sometimes they also mention on occasion, a qira'ah which isn't read by today, it's not considered a mutawatir qira'ah, which is an, uh, a qira'ah that is widely accepted and, and read by, but it is considered a peculiar reading that was read by some of the early scholars of Islam, but that never continued and never grew into a reading that was accepted by the ummah. And the translators not always necessarily translate all of the variations that are mentioned in the original of the Arabic and that's because it becomes difficult to sometimes read and it is something which isn't uh, not always brings a great deal of extra tafsir or extra meaning to the verse sometimes it is grammatical and so it just changes who said what and how it was said rather than give us an added meaning uh, to the verse in terms of changing the meaning of the actual word but that's something which you can see and that is one of the efforts that the scholars of the past used to make in terms of not only making the tafsir of the Qur'an, but their effort in general concerning the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because one of the sciences of our religion that alhamdulillah recently has had somewhat of a renaissance is the science of qira'at. And for many years, it was a science which very few people were familiar with and aware of, even though it was in the books of tafsir and other books but it wasn't something which people were familiar with and it wasn't something which was really studied and it wasn't something which was really taught until in the last few decades and I remember hearing from one of the famous reciters that is living today Hafizahullah he said that when he first started to recite in the Qira'at one of the changes that we mentioned already it's already come I think in, in Surah Baqarah is the change of the name Ibrahim السلام, the Prophet of Allah in the Qira'ah of Ibn Amir it is read Ibrahim and he says that I remember when I first started reading in Qira'at and I read one day Ibn Amir and I read Ibrahim. After the prayer, someone got very upset and he said, why are you speaking English in the Salah? He thought I was saying Abraham. And so he was saying, but that was literally how few people knew, or how little people knew about the Qira'at. And he said it was extremely difficult to convince him that it was a Qira'at that is acceptable in the Qur'an. Because he just was adamant that it sounded too close to Abraham and he thought that I was bringing in the English or anglicized version of the name into the Quran but that's something which alhamdulillah has improved and it's something which the scholars of the past uh, used to focus on because it is one of those noble sciences of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
And in that regard, it reminds me of the story of uh, Al-Imam Warsh, Rahimahullah, uh, Uthman ibn Sa'id ibn Abdullah, who died in the year 197 of the Hijrah. Warsh, which is one of the famous qira'at of today after the qira'at of Hafs, which is the one that most people read with, it is probably the second most prevalent and dominant qira'at in the world today. It's recited in northern Africa and parts of western Africa and other parts of the world. Warsh, his story, rahimahullah ta'ala, is he's from the, one of the two main students of Imam Nafi', from whom you take the qira'ah. Nafi' is the imam, each imam has two students. One of the two students of Nafi' is Warsh. Warsh was a man who traveled from Egypt to Medina. This is, as you can imagine, in the early part of Islam. Nafi' was one of the imams of Medina. So he traveled to Medina and he says that when I came into the masjid of the Prophet وسلم, where Nafi' would teach people Quran, he said that his circle was so busy that I couldn't even get to him because he had so many students waiting. And Imam Nafi' his, his methodology of teaching Quran was that every student would come and he could only read 30 verses a day. 30 verses, then he leaves. Then the next one comes with 30 verses. He says, because there were so many of them that I couldn't possibly reach Nafi'. So he said that I was extremely upset. I've traveled from Egypt, come to try to learn Quran. And now that I've arrived, I'm thinking that I'll never get a chance. It will take me months to get to the front of this queue, let alone read the Quran to him. So he said that I sat at the back of the masjid of the Prophet wasallam, Masjid al-Nabawi. And he says that I asked someone, do you know anyone who's a close friend to Nafi'? So one of the people that was around me said, I know someone who's very close to him, very good friend of his. He said, will you introduce me to him? So he said, okay. So he walked with me, Warsh says, to the house of this friend of Imam Nafi'. We knocked on the door and I introduced myself and I said, I came all the way from Egypt to learn Quran, to study Quran. I didn't come for Hajj. I didn't come for any trade or commerce, didn't come for any other reason, just to study Qur'an with this scholar. And now I find that I can't even get to him because of the amount of students that are between him and between me. So will you please take me to him, introduce me, and ask him to see if he can fit me in somewhere in his extremely busy schedule. The friend said, okay, I'm a very close friend of his, very dear to him, I'll go and I can try, I'll ask. So he takes him to Nafi'a. And they give salams to Imam Nafi' and he introduces Warsh. He says, this is a man who's traveled from Egypt, he's only come for Quran, didn't come for Hajj, he's not just passing by, didn't come for trade or business or any other reason, came to study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why don't you try to help him? Nafi' said, do you not see the Muhajireen and the Ansar around me? Meaning, the descendants of the Muhajireen and the Ansar. Because this is Medina and these are the grandchildren of the companions of the Prophet and some of them or many of them are from those families. Do you not see how many of them are around me? So his friend said to him, this man has more right to some of these people because they live here, they're in Medina and they have access to other people and they're going to be here inshallah for the rest of their lives. This man is a traveler, he's come to study and he has to go back. So see if you can do something for him. Warsh says, Nafi looked at me and he said, can you spend the night in the masjid, sleep in the masjid, masjid al-Nabawi? And if you do so, after Fajr, I will, I will test you. That's the only thing that I can think of, even though Nafi' has students that will come after Fajr. So Warsh said, okay, I don't mind. I will stay in the masjid and sleep in the masjid every night if you can listen to me after Fajr. So he says that after Fajr, I came and he asked for me. 
He says, as Nafiq sat down with me, the other students began to complain. Yeah, Sheikh, Imam, what's going on? We've been here and we've got a, like a road turn, we have a system, and who's this stranger that you've all of a sudden allowed to come in? So Nafiq said to them, he's a traveler, he's from a far distant land, he's come to learn Quran, and he has a right over us, over me and over you, that we help him. So they went quiet. Imam Nafi' said to Warsh read, and Warsh had, it is said, an amazing voice. A voice that resonated that when he began to recite, it filled the masjid. He says that I read my portion of 30 verses, and alhamdulillah, his recitation was so nice, that one of the students of Nafi', one of the other students, stood up and said, O Shaykh, give him 10 of my verses. Every student has 30 verses. Give him 10 of mine, and I'll keep 20. He says, when he said that, another one stood up and he said the same thing. Oh, Imam, give him ten of mine, and I will keep twenty. So he says, in that way, I started to read fifty verses a day to Nafi'. And I did this until over time I finished the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and read the Quran. And it is that sincerity in recitation, in seeking knowledge, in wanting to learn, in being patient with the very long process of only being able to read a very short part of the Quran or a portion of the Quran, and being patient with how long that will take until you get to the end. And that is why Allah Azza wa blessed him. That today the, the Qara'a of Imam Nafi' is known by only two students, by Qalun and by Warsh. And Warsh is one of those recitations that has a very beautiful way of reading because of its many rules of Tajweed and the differences that it brings. And so it is a testament to, inshaAllah ta'ala, the sincerity of those scholars of Islam and how very humble, meager efforts if we make them in a path and in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah azza wa takes those efforts and blesses that sincerity, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants people a reward beyond their expectation and imagination. So inshallah ta'ala, today we begin with the reading of uh, Surah Hud, which is towards the beginning of, or just before the beginning of, the 12th juz of the Qur'an. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم اغفر لشيخنا ولوالدينا ولجميع المسلمين أما بعد فقد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير سورة هود سورة هود It is Meccan except for ayat 12, 17 and 114 which are Medina It has 123 ayat and was revealed after سورة يونس so Surah Hud is the 11th Surah of the Qur'an and as we can see it is a Surah that is named after a Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And yesterday we had the story of the Prophet Yunus or the Surah named after the Prophet Yunus alayhi salam and there will be a number of Surahs that will be named after Prophets Ibrahim and Yusuf and Nuh and so on. And so it is a common naming of the Surahs of the Qur'an concerning uh, that one of the common names of some of the surahs of the Quran is named after a prophet. And yesterday we mentioned the reason why Surah Yunus was um, was named after the Prophet Yunus السلام, and that is because of the exception to the general rule of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was given to the people of Yunus السلام, And so the naming of that surah, Surah Yunus, is slightly more apparent. As for the naming of Surah Hud, then there are some scholars who have tried to ascertain why the surah is named after the Prophet Hud And to be honest, I don't, didn't find many of them to be satisfying. And it's not necessarily that we know why a surah is named after a Prophet. And the early scholars of Islam don't generally speak about these topics. They don't really go into why is the surah called 
Hud or Yunus or something else, generally speaking. It is later scholars who try to ascertain the wisdom behind the naming of these surahs. And sometimes their reasoning makes more sense and sometimes it seems slightly more far-fetched and Allah knows best. But one of the reasons why some of the scholars said is because Surah Hud is a surah that will focus on the Prophet Hud salam. But actually, if you and when we come to his portion of the of the surah that is speaking about his story, it's not that more in terms of concentration and focus than the other stories that are mentioned. In fact, if anything, the story of the Prophet Nuh in this surah is much longer and much more detailed than any any other Prophet of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And others from amongst them said the reason it's called Surah Hud is because of the repetition of the name of Hud that it is repeated by name, his name is repeated more times than other prophets within this surah. And Allah Azza wa knows best. But Surah Hud is mentioned in a hadith uh, of the Prophet وسلم, about which there is uh, a lot of discussion concerning its authenticity or lack thereof. Shaykh al-Bani rahimahullah is from the scholars who authenticated it, but many of the other scholars said that it is weak. And that is the hadith of the Prophet Surah Hud and others have made me grow old. And that's reported in a number of chains of narration with a number of different text, different uh, wordings. From them is that Abu Bakr said to the Prophet one day, O Messenger of Allah, you look old, meaning that your hair is going white. And the Prophet said, it is because of Surah Hud and similar surahs of the Qur'an that I have become old. And in another narration, he names those surahs as Surah Waqi'ah and Mursalat and Amma Yatasa'aloon and Ida Shamsu Kuwirat. Those five surahs have made me grow old. And the scholars have a very long discussion that this isn't the case for concerning the authenticity or lack thereof of the hadith. And from the reasons why you have that difference of opinion is not only because of the chain of narrators, but also because of the wording, because it is authentically reported in the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu in Sahih Bukhari, that the Prophet didn't have more than some 20 white hairs in his beard and in his hair, meaning that he had very little white hair, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, at the time of his death. And so you have these different discussions amongst the scholars of hadith. If we say that the hadith is authentic and on that basis, then it is one of those surahs which the Prophet has explicitly named. And the surahs of the Qur'an, and I think we, we mentioned this before, are of two categories in terms of their names. Surahs that were given a name by the Prophet ﷺ in authentic hadith, we have narrations like Surah Al-Fatiha, like Surah Baqarah, like Surah Ali Imran, like Surah Al-Kahf, like Surah Ikhlas, and so on and so forth, a number of them. That the Prophet ﷺ spoke about them and gave them names and referred to them by their names. And other surahs of the Qur'an then, which is the second category, that there is no authentic hadith that we know of. But those names are taken either from the companions, or from the early scholars of Islam. And that is why for certain surahs, as we mentioned at the beginning of Surah Al-Tawbah, there are surahs that have multiple names. Multiple names because it's not an authentic hadith, and one companion may refer to it, for example, in Surah Tawbah as Tawbah, and another one as Bara'ah, and another one as Fadiha, and so on and so forth. And so, in the books of hadith, or sorry, in the books of tafsir, however, this surah is only known as surah Hud. It is only known as surah Hud, which tends to lend credence to the notion that it was something which therefore was known at that very early time of the companions radiallahu anhu by only this single name. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. 
As the author rahimahullah ta'ala mentions, it is a Makki surah, as is the position of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir, and some of them say, with exception, as the Suyuti rahimahullah ta'ala mentions here, that some of its verses were Medinan, meaning that they were revealed post hijran As we've said before, that just because some of its verses may be the exception to the rule, the surah would still be classified as a Makki or a Madani surah, if that is where the majority of it was revealed. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف Allah knows best what is meant by the letters كتاب أحكمت آياته A book whose ayat are perfectly constructed with a wondrous order and amazing meanings ثم فصلت ملد حكيم خبير and then demarcated, distinguishing ruling stories and admonitions from Allah, coming directly from one who is all-wise, all-aware, meaning Allah. Allah Azza wa in this verse at the beginning of Surah Hud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the Qur'an and its verses as Uhkimat, Kitabun Uhkimat Ayatu, a book whose verses and ayat are perfectly constructed, meaning that they are muhkam. And we mentioned at the beginning of Surah Ali Imran, I think it's verse 7 or 8, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the Qur'an and He says, هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابِ مِنْهُ آيَاتٌ مُحْكَمَاتٌ هُنَّ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ وَأُخَرُ مُتَشَابِهَاتٌ Allah says at the beginning of Surah Ali Imran that these are the verses of the Qur'an. From them are clear verses. أُحْكِمَتْ Like these ones. أُحْكِمَتْ آيَاتٌ or آيَاتٌ مُحْكَمَاتٌ They are the mother of the book. And others that are ambiguous. So the scholars mentioned that there is that verse that seems to say that there are two types of verses in the Qur'an and this verse at the beginning of Surah Hud which says that there is only one type and the way that we understand that is that Allah at the beginning of Surah Hud is referring to as the author ta'ala mentions the perfection in, that is being mentioned here or the clear verses the clarity that is being referred to here is in its order and in its eloquence and in its meanings that it is something which is perfect in that regard Whereas in the beginning of Surah Al-Imran As we mentioned when we did the tafsir of that surah What Allah Azza wa is referring to there Is the clarity or the ambiguousness In terms of some of the finer details That the vast majority of the Quran Is something which everyone can understand But there are parts of the Quran That are still wondrous and eloquent And amazing in their meanings But the full tafsir and understanding Is only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala such as the names and attributes of Allah, such as the reality of Jannah, the reality of Hawfire, the reality of Yomul Qiyamah, the reality of what takes place in the grave, and so on. And so those are verses that they are still perfect in their eloquence, in their reading, in the way that we can memorize them with ease, and everything else of the Quran is known for in terms of its beauty and in terms of its miracle. But the meaning of those verses is something which Allah Azza wa has chosen to keep to Himself. Do not worship anyone but Allah. I am a warner of the punishment if you disbelieve and bringer of good news of the reward if you believe to you from Him. Ask your Lord for forgiveness for shirk and then repent to Him. Turn to Him by obeying Him. يُمَتِّعْكُمْ مَتَاعًا حَسَنًا إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى 
He will let you enjoy a good life, meaning give you a pleasant life and ample provision in this world, until a specified time, meaning your death. And will give his favor to all who merit it by their actions in the next world as repayment. But if you turn your backs, I fear for you the punishment of a mighty day, meaning the day of rising. You will return to Allah. He has power over all things, including reward and punishment. This ayah was revealed. This ayah was revealed as Al-Bukhari related from Ibn Abbas about people who are ashamed to go to the lavatory or to have sexual intercourse in the open air. It is also said that it is about the hypocrites. See how they wrap themselves round trying to conceal their feelings from him, meaning Allah. No, indeed, when they wrap their garments around themselves to cover themselves, He, meaning Allah, knows what they keep secret and what they make public. So the concealment is of no effect. He knows what their hearts contain. Verse from the five as the author Ta'ala mentions in Surah Hud, he gives the cause of revelation, and that is obviously the authentic hadith of Al-Bukhari or Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. That a number of people in the time of the Prophet felt ashamed that they should go to the bathroom in the open air because there is nothing above them, between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is a principle that is established in the Sunnah. That when you go out to the bathroom, meaning in the open air, then the Prophet used to, or some of the companions used to like to, uh, when they would sit or they would squat to relieve themselves of Allah, they would make themselves as small and as inconspicuous as possible because of the shyness of Allah Azza wa Jal before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the hadith of the man who asked the Prophet or Messenger of Allah, what if I am naked? And Allah Azza wa Jal, and the Prophet said to him, and Allah Azza wa Jal has more right that you should be embarrassed before him. And these hadith have to be understood in the context in which they were narrated. And that context is that they're speaking about, as the author says, in open air. Just as the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that is mentioned in uh, Al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ said when you relieve yourself do not face the Qibla, no face, Baytul Maqdis. Lakin shabiqu or gharibu. Rather go to the left or to the right of those two directions. And that hadith is referring to a person who is in the open air, open ground, out in the desert, somewhere where there's no walls and there's no, it's not a room and it's not enclosed. But actually being in an enclosed area like we are, in, for example, the UK, where you go to a bathroom and it's a building and it's a room, that's not the meaning of the hadith. And so the point is to show respect to what Allah has honored and to show that shyness in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the open air. And that's why one of the mistakes that is common when people study the hadith is that they think that they apply, that it applies to our situation, for example, in the bathroom. And I've heard of people saying, it's very difficult to sit on the, on the toilet because I have to sit this way and that way because my bathroom happens to be facing the Qibla. And they now have to like try to do some acrobatic stance in the bathroom. And that's because of a misunderstanding of the hadith. And so it is important, and that is why scholars used to write works on the context of the Sharia as it was revealed. Because you have to understand, when the Prophet is saying, do this, how do they used to go to the bathroom? They didn't have bathrooms in their homes. They didn't have a system that we have that we're familiar with, they would go to 
the open air out into the desert far away and everything is open around them and everyone can see and everyone can look in as opposed to somewhere that is enclosed, unlocked and that no one can really get into very easily and so there is a difference and so that has to be understood but Allah Azza wa in this verse is saying to them that even though that is an etiquette that they should abide by that doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't remove Allah's knowledge of them doesn't mean that Allah isn't aware of them doesn't mean that Allah can no longer see, hear or know what they are doing because that is from the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَمَا مِن دَابَّةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا عَلَى اللَّهِ رِزْقُهَا There is no creature that falls on the earth which is not dependent upon Allah for its provision meaning Allah is responsible for providing for it as a favor from Him وَيَعْلَمُ مُسْتَقَرَّهَا وَمُسْتَوْدَعَهَا He knows where it lives a reference to either this world or the loins and where it dies a reference to where it will be lodged after death or the womb they are all mentioned in a clear book, meaning the preserved tablet. And in verse 6, uh, this is now a better translation than the one that was given previously concerning the word Daba. And Daba means anything which treads upon the earth. So any creature that walks upon the earth in classical Arabic is considered to be Daba. As opposed to the <coughs> translation that was given in the Sharr al-Dawabi Allah, and the translation there was animals. And it is wider than animals because it refers to humans and that is a verse speaking about the disbelievers and the hypocrites. So the humans are from that and other creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has created. It is he who created the heavens and the earth in six days. The first day was Sunday and the sixth Friday. When his throne, meaning before he created the heaven and the earth, was on the water, which was on the back of the wind. In order to test which of you has the best actions. In other words, Allah created the heavens and earth and everything they contain for the use and benefit of humanity. In order to test them and see which of them are most obedient to Allah. If you, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, say, you will be raised up after death, those who disbelieved will say, this Qur'an, which speaks of the resurrection and what you say, is nothing but downright clear magic, read as sihr, as here, and also sahib, which means magician, referring to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In verse number 7, Allah azza wa jal speaks about his throne being upon the water, وَكَانَ عَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ that before the creation of the heavens and the earth, Allah Azza wa Jal's throne was upon the water. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. This, the description of that water and where it was and how it was, that is something from the, the knowledge of the unseen that Allah Azza wa Jal has kept to himself. But the concept of it being on the water is something which is also established in the sunnah, in the hadith in al-Bukhari, the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, indeed Allah's hands are full, meaning of blessing and treasure, and of grace and favor. And Allah Azza wa Jal is the one who is generous in the way that he spends in the day and in the night. And then the Prophet said, have you not seen how much Allah has spent and given since the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth whilst his arsh was on the water? So Allah Azza wa Jal has spread and provided and given from the beginning of creation until our time and it will continue until Yawm Al-Qiyamah and beyond Yawm Al-Qiyamah for the people of Jannah. 
and that is something which Allah has given and the Prophet said and none of that spending, none of what Allah has given and put forth has decreased in any way his treasures subhanahu wa ta'ala وَلَئِنْ أَخَرْنَا عَنْهُمُ الْعَذَابَ إِلَىٰ مَعْدُودَةٍ مَا If we postpone the punishment for them for a limited time Ummah here means time They will say in mockery What is holding it back? Meaning stopping it from happening Allah says أَلَا يَوْمَ يَأْتِيهِمْ لَيْسَ مَصْرُوفًا عَنْهُمْ وَحَاقَ بِهِمْ مَا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ No, indeed, the day it reaches them, it will not be averted from happening to them. And the things they mocked at, meaning the punishment, will encompass them. In, in verse number 8, as the <coughs> translator and as the author Ta'ala, mentioned correctly, that the word ummah, which often means nation, can also mean uh, other things in the Quran. And from the meaning of the word ummah is a, uh, a leader or a role model. In Ibrahim Kana. Ummatan. And from the meanings of the word Ummah is, as is mentioned here, time. And a similar usage of the word Ummah in that context will come, inshallah ta'ala, later on today in the story of Yusuf alayhi salam, when he will say, وَالدَّكَرَ بَعْدَ أُمَّةٍ أَنَا أُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِتَأْوِيلِهِ فَرْسِهُمْ When the man, one of the two uh, co-prisoners of Yusuf alayhi salam, when he's told to mention the story of Yusuf to the king, and he forgets, Allah says, وَالدَّكَرَ بَعْدَ أُمَّةٍ he remembered after a time. And the word Ummah in that context means time as well. And that is why it is important to understand the context of the Qur'an. Otherwise you end up mistranslating. Because you think Ummah always means nation. And so you constantly say nation. And so here you would say if we postpone the punishment for them for a nation. Which then no longer makes sense in the reading of the Qur'an. وَلَئِنْ أَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ مِنَّا رَحْمَةً ثُمَّ نَزَعْنَاهَا مِنْ If we let an unbelieving man taste mercy, meaning wealth and health from us, and then take it away from him, إِنَّهُ لَيَأُوسٌ كَفُورٌ He is despairing of Allah's mercy, ungrateful, vehement in, dis- in disbelieving in Allah. وَلَئِنْ أَذَقْنَاهُ نَعْمَاءَ بَعْدَ ضَرَّاءَ مَسَّتْهُ لَيَقُولَنَّ ذَهَبَ السَّيِّئَاتُ عَنِّهِ But if we let him taste blessings after hardship, meaning poverty and difficulty, has afflicted him, he says, my troubles, meaning afflictions, have gone away, when he did not expect them to depart and is not grateful for it. إِنَّهُ لَفَرِحٌ فَخُورٌ And he is overjoyed, boastful. Meaning he is arrogant and boasts to people about what he has been given. Except for those who are steadfast in hardship and do right actions in times of blessing. They will receive forgiveness and a great reward, meaning the garden. Perhaps you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, are leaving aside part of what has been revealed to you. Meaning, not conveying part of what has been revealed to you because they may, may despise it. And your breast is constricted by this when you recite it to them because they say, why has treasure not been set down to him or an angel not accompanied him to support him as we have demanded? 
إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ نَذِيرٌ You're only a warner, meaning you only have to convey the message to them, not to bring about what they have demanded. وَاللَّهُ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ وَكِيلٌ And Allah is guardian over all things, and He will repay them. In verse number 12 is something which Allah Azza wa Jal will repeat a number of times in the Qur'an, and that is how the Prophet ﷺ would become upset and he would become sorrowful because of the rejection that he faced from his people. And that was the case with all of the Prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who were rejected by their nations. Because one of the core characteristics of a Prophet of Allah is that they have genuine empathy and concern and care for their people. They are not people and that is why it is also from the attributes of a person who calls to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you care for the people that you're calling to, that you're calling, that you want good for them. That you're not a person, for example, who calls them once and if they reject you or say no, you ignore them for the rest of your life. Because the prophets of Allah would continue to call and be patient and call and be rejected and continue to call until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would tell them to do otherwise, either because they will pass away or because some punishment is going to come on that nation. But they wouldn't stop and they wouldn't cease and they wouldn't take a break. And that is something which we will see, inshallah ta'ala, when we come to the story of Nuh in Surah Nuh. So Allah Azza wa is saying, therefore, it is very common amongst the Prophets and especially for our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that his chest would become constricted meaning that he would feel uneasy and upset that these are the people that he has grown up with, people that he knows many of them are relatives, many of them are related to him and friends and neighbors and so on and they are rejecting him and he knows that the meaning of rejection is ultimately the punishment of Allah and the Hawfah and Allah Azza wa says as we uh, mentioned yesterday in the verse and today and, and it is mentioned elsewhere in the Qur'an, that it is not up to the Prophet ﷺ to decide who will be guided and who will not and who will be saved and who will not. Or do they say, he has invented it, meaning the Qur'an. Say then, produce ten invented surahs like this, in eloquence and quality of Arabic, as you are Arabic speakers with eloquence like me. So Allah challenged them with this first and then with producing even one surah. And call on anyone you can besides Allah for help in doing so, if you are telling the truth about it being forged. And we mentioned this yesterday in verse number 13, the similar verse to it in Surah Yunus that Allah Azza told them to produce a single surah. And this is the second stage of that three stage challenge. Second stage being produce ten surahs like it. And each surah, as we said, the minimum is three verses, that is, 30 verses similar to the Qur'an. Because, as we know, the Arabs in the Quraysh particularly boasted about their eloquence and their mastery of the Arabic language and their poetry and so on. And that's why some of the scholars said it is from the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah azza wa did not make the Prophet wasallam a poet. He wasn't a person who knew poetry. And sometimes when the Prophet would recite poetry, he would make mistakes even in the few verses that he knew. And someone would have to correct him. And that's because, as Allah says in the Quran, We never taught him poetry. Nor was the Prophet a learned man in terms of having become very educated, reading and writing. He was illiterate in that sense. And that is to show the miracle of what he bought of the Quran. So that people couldn't say, well, he's a poet. He's someone who's very eloquent. He's someone who we know for his eloquence. And so it's very easy for him to bring something like this. In fact, the opposite was known of him. Alayhi salatu wasalam. فَإِن لَّمْ يَسْتَجِيبُوا لَكُمْ 
فَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا أُنْزِلَ بِعِلْمِ اللَّهِ وَأَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا If they do not respond to you, meaning to your invitation to them to help one another to come up with ten surahs, then know, idolaters, that it has been set down with Allah's direct knowledge, and is not a forgery, and that there is no God but Him. فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ So, will you not become Muslims after this definitive proof? مَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا وَزِينَتَهَا As for those who desire the life of this world and its finery, a reference to those who persist in shirk, and also said to be about those who show off. نُوَفِّ إِلَيْهِمْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ فِيهَا وَهُمْ فِيهَا لَا يُبْخَسُونَ We will give them full payment in it, meaning this world, for their actions. They will be repaid in this world for whatever good they did, such as their gifts of sadaqah and maintenance of ties of kinship, meaning that their provision will be expanded for them. They will not be deprived here of their due or shortchanged for any good they have done. But such people will have nothing in the next world but the fire. What they achieved here will come to nothing, meaning will be nullified. What they did will prove to be null and void in the next world, and they will have no reward. أَفَمَنْ كَانَ عَلَى بَيِّنَةٍ مِّنْ رَبِّهِ وَيَتْلُوهُ شَاهِدٌ مِّنْهُ وَمِنْ قَبْلِهِ كِتَابُ مُوسَى وَمِنْ قَبْلِهِ كِتَابُ مُوسَى إِمَامًا وَرَحْمَةً But as for those who have clear evidence from their Lord, a reference to the Prophet وسلم, or the believers, the evidence mentioned being the Qur'an, followed up by a witness to his truthfulness from him, meaning Allah, meaning Jibreel, and before it, meaning the Qur'an, the book of Musa, the Torah, came which attests to him as a model and a mercy. Such people, meaning those who have clear evidence, believe in it, the Quran. And so they shall have the garden. Any faction of the unbelievers which rejects it is promised the fire. Be in no doubt about it, meaning the Quran. إِنَّهُ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكَ It is the truth from your Lord. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ But most people, including people of Mecca, do not believe. In verse 17, when the author, Rahimullah Ta'ala, gives his tafsir of the part of the verse, وَيَتْلُوهُ شَاهِدٌ مِنْ Followed up by a witness to his truthfulness from him, meaning Allah, and the witness being Jibreel alayhi salam. That is, one position amongst the scholars of tafsir, another said, that it can be referring to the Prophet ﷺ, that he will be the one who is a witness over his people. And others from amongst them said it is the Qur'an, that the Qur'an will testify against them. And others said that it is the angel that records their deeds, that that will be what testifies against them. And it is possible that all of them, because we know that each of them will testify. Who, meaning no one, could do greater wrong than those who invent lies against Allah by ascribing a partner and child to him. Such people will be arrayed before their Lord on the day of rising with all creatures. And the witnesses, meaning the angels who testify that the messengers conveyed the message and that the unbelievers denied it, will say, those are the ones who lied against their Lord. Yes, indeed, Allah's curse is on the wrongdoers, meaning idolaters. 
سبيل الله ويبغونها عوجا وهم بالآخرة هم كافرون Those who bar access to the way of Allah, meaning Islam, desiring to make it, meaning the way, crooked, and reject the next world. أُولَٰئِكَ لَمْ يَكُونُوا مُعْجِزِينَ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا كَانَ لَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ مِنْ أَوْلِيَاءِ They were not able to thwart Allah on earth and had no protectors to defend them against his punishment besides Allah. يُضَاعَفُ لَهُمُ الْعَذَابِ The punishment will be doubled for them because they misled others. مَا كَانُوا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ السَّمْعَ وَمَا كَانُوا يُبْصِرُونَ they were unable to hear the truth and could not see it because of their excessive hatred, which made them likely, which made them like those physically unable to do that. Those are the people who have lost their own selves because they go to the eternal fire. What they invented against Allah, a reference to the partners they ascribed to Him, has abandoned them. لا جرم أنهم في الآخرة هم الأخسرون. Without question, truly, they will be the greatest losers in the next world. إن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وأخبتوا إلى ربهم أولئك أصحاب الجنة هم فيها خالدون. As for those who believe and do right actions and humble themselves before their Lord, they are the companions of the garden, remaining in it timelessly forever. مَثَلُ الْفَرِيقَيْنِ كَالْأَعْمَى وَالْأَصَمِّ وَالْبَصِيرِ وَالسَّمِيعِ The likeness of the two groups, meaning the unbelievers and the believers, is that of the blind and deaf, a simile for the unbelievers, and the seeing and hearing, a simile for the believers. هَلْ يَسْتَوْيَانِ مَثَلًا Are they the same as one another? أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ So, will you not pay heed and be admonished? وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا نُوحًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ we sent Nuh to his people. Inni lakum mubin. I am a clear warner to you, read as inni and anni. Someone who makes the warning clear to you. Worship none but Allah. If you worship anything else, inni I fear for you the punishment of a painful day in this world and the next. In verses 25 onwards now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the first of a series of stories in this surah. And Allah Azza wa Jalla mentioned to us the story of Nuh alayhi salam, the story of Hud, the story of Salih, the story of Ibrahim, the story of Lot, the story of Shu'ib, and the story of Musa alayhi salatu wassalam. And so the vast majority of this surah will be taken up by the stories of Allah's Prophet. And that is one of the reasons those scholars who said that this, the narration that I mentioned at the beginning of today's lesson uh, of the Prophet ﷺ saying that these surahs made me grow old, those scholars who consider that narration to be authentic said that one of the reasons why in particular these surahs were named is because they speak of punishment. And they refer to the punishment and destruction of these nations. And so it was something which the Prophet ﷺ used to put a lot of emphasis on, or he used to... Uh, reflect upon and contemplate over and what is authentically reported from the Prophet is the hadith of Aisha that the Prophet when rain clouds would come to Medina and the people would rejoice because rain is coming the Prophet would be anxious and the Prophet would walk inside of his house and outside of his house and he would sit and he would get up as if he is disturbed 
until the rain cloud would either pass away over them and go, or rain would descend. So she said, radiallahu anha, Aisha, O Messenger of Allah, when the people see these rain clouds, they rejoice. But when you see them, you become anxious. He said, O Aisha, for indeed people, a people who came before us, a nation of the past, saw similar rain clouds thinking that it brought rain and mercy from Allah. But within it, it contained punishment. And this is what Allah Azza wa will speak about in Surah Al-Ahqaf concerning the punishment of the people of Hud alayhi salam. هَذَا عَارِضٌ مُمْطِرُونَا بَلْ هُوَ مَسْتَعْجَلْتُمْ بِهِ رِيحٌ فِيهَا عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ When they thought that the rain clouds that they were seeing were going to bring them relief from their drought and famine, but instead Allah says it was what they sought, it was the painful punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is an authentic hadith. And so therefore these are uh, irrespective of whether the first hadith that I mentioned is authentic or not, this is a surah that deals with the destruction and the punishment of those people from the past who turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his, uh, and his message. And no doubt their punishment in their next life will be far greater. And that is the lesson for the Quraysh. Even if you are not destroyed in this way, remember that what they faced here is actually the lesser of the two punishments, the easier in inverted commas of the two punishments because what they will have waiting for them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is far greater and far more severe. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins here with the story of Nuh and as I mentioned in the Quran this is probably the most extensive telling of the story of this Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though there is a surah that is named after him alayhi salam but that surah deals mainly with his method of preaching and his method of calling and the way that he gave da'wah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whereas this particular telling of his life alayhi salam goes into detail concerning other aspects concerning his messengership and his prophethood alayhi salam فَقَالَ الْمَلَأُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ قَوْمِهِ مَا نَرَاكَ إِلَّا بَشَرًا مِثْلَنَا it's a ruling circle, meaning the nobles of those of his people who disbelieved said, We do not see you as anything but a human being like ourselves, meaning we do not see that you have any superiority over us. وَمَا نَرَاكَ اتَّبَعَكَ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ هُمْ أَرَاذِلُنَا بَادِيَ الرَّائِي We do not see anyone following you but the lowest of us, such as weavers and shoemakers, unthinkingly, read as an expression implying acting without reflection. Doing the first thing that comes to mind. We do not see you as superior to us, meaning we do not think that you deserve to be followed by us. On the contrary, we consider you to be liars in claiming to have a message. They included his people with him when they addressed him, which is why the second person plural is used here. In this verse, verse number 27, as we mentioned when we discussed this story in Surah Al-Araf, that one of the things that his people had against him is that his followers were from the lower ranks of society. And the nobility of Nuh salam's people, his nation, considered themselves to be better. And this is a verse that speaks about this in even more uh, expressed terms. We do not see anyone following you but the lowest of us. With the Ya, which is the reading of the majority, and with the Hamza, which is the reading of Abu Amr. And with the A means that they are at the beginning of their intellect, meaning that they are very simple people, that they don't really understand, they don't really have much that goes beyond their scope, and that is 
something which is a warning to all of us about the type of arrogance when you learn and you seek knowledge and therefore by having that knowledge you think that you are better than others, more learned than others, you look down upon others because they don't know as much as you, they're not as well read as you are, they're not as well studied as you are and this is obviously not in religious terms, it is just in societal terms that they are referring to and so Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that this is one of their main reasons that led them to rejecting the the messengership of Nuh and in the time of the Prophet there was something similar when the Quraysh would look at the likes of Bilal and Suhaib and Salman and others Khabbab and other companions of the Prophet who were poor free slaves, didn't have anything really to their name, didn't have anything that would make them prestigious in terms of the society of Mecca and so they looked down upon them and said how can this be a true religion when these are the people that flock to it and if it was a true religion then surely we meaning the rich and the powerful and the mighty, we would have been the ones to have accepted it. He said, my people, what do you think? Tell me, if I were to have clear evidence from my Lord and he had given me a mercy, meaning prophethood, direct from him, but it was hidden from you. Read as Ummiyat and also Ammiyat, in which case the meaning becomes you were blind to it. Could we force it on you and compel you to accept it if you were unwilling to do so? Meaning we cannot do that. My people, I do not ask you for any wealth for it. Conveying the message. In Ajriya illa Allah, my wage, meaning reward, is the responsibility of Allah alone. وَمَا أَنَا بِطَالِدِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا I will not chase away those who believe, as you command me. إِنَّهُمْ مُلَاقُوا رَبِّهِمْ They are surely going to meet their Lord at the resurrection. And He will repay them and take what is owed to them from those who wronged them and drove them away. وَلَكِنِّي أَرَاكُمْ قَوْمًا تَجْهَلُونَ But I see you as ignorant people, ignorant of what your final outcome will be. In verse 3, Nuh is saying to his people, that if that is the condition of the people who follow me, they happen to be from the poor, they happen to be from the simpler levels or the lower levels of society, that is no fault of theirs and it's no fault of mine. And I can't just tell them to stop believing or drive them away simply because they don't meet your standards of who is deserving of guidance and who is not. And this is similar to the other telling of the story in the Quran in which Allah Azza wa says, uh, they said to him, Should we believe in you when it is the lowly that follow you? He said, It's not my job. I didn't know what they used to do. Their accounting will be with their Lord. If only you knew. And I cannot tell the believers to go. I can't push them away. For I am only a clear warner. وَيَا قَوْمِ مَنْ يَنْصُرُنِي مِنَ اللَّهِ إِنْ طَرَدْتُهُمْ My people who would help me and defend me against the punishment of Allah if I did drive them away. Meaning, I would have no helper. أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ So, will you not pay heed and be admonished? وَلَا أَقُولُ لَكُمْ عِنْدِي خَزَائِنُ اللَّهِ وَلَا أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبَ وَلَا أَقُولُ إِنِّي مَلَكِ I do not say to you that I possess the treasuries of Allah, nor do I know the unseen, nor do I say that I am an angel. I am merely a mortal like you. Nor do 
what do I say to those who are vile in your eyes and whom you disdain that Allah will not give them any good? Allah knows best what is in their hearts. If I did say that, I would certainly be one of the wrongdoers. In verse 31, the Prophet Nuh is saying that I am a prophet of Allah. I don't control Allah's treasure. I'm not an angel, I don't know the unseen, I have no other control. I just deliver the message of my Lord. And the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the greatest of Allah's awliya, the greatest of Allah's helpers or the greatest of Allah's closest friends. The prophets of Allah Azza wa above anyone and everyone else, they have that position of wilaya. In addition to obviously the prophethood that Allah Azza wa has given to them. So therefore, it is from the characteristics of the awliya of Allah that they are humble. That they don't say that I can help you, come to me, or pay me, or give me something and I will give you a child. Or, because we have, unfortunately, in some places, a, an incorrect concept and understanding of who is a wali. And people who claim to be a wali are often the people who are not the awliya of Allah. Because the prophets of Allah, despite their status, that is affirmed from them, that is guaranteed to them, were people of humility and humbleness. And despite the miracles that Allah gave to them at their hands, they were still people who used to attribute that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, Nuh, you have argued with us and disputed with us and argued much. So bring this what you have promised us, meaning the punishment if you are telling the truth about it. قَالَ إِنَّمَا يَأْتِيكُمْ بِهِ اللَّهُ إِن شَاءَ وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُعْجِزِينَ He said, Allah will bring it to you if He wills, to hasten it for you. And that is up to Him, not up to me. And you will not be able to prevent it and escape Allah. And this is often the case amongst the people of the past nations that Allah Azza wa mentioned their stories to us, that they would demand the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was how audacious they had become, how arrogant they had become, that they would have the audacity to say to this Prophet, if you are truthful, then show us that punishment, bring it to us, let us see it, as we will see in the other stories of the Qur'an, some of them say, cause the sky to fall upon us in chunks, as the people of Shu'aim said to him, others said, as the people of Nuh, show us this punishment of Allah, let it come, bring it to us, we're ready, we're waiting, and so this is a demand from them, and when it reaches that level of arrogance, then Allah Azza wa destroys such a people. And often Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves them until they reach that level of arrogance. So that the evidence upon them is firmly established. That they can't say, Yawm al-Qiyamah, oh Allah, we sinned immediately and you destroyed us. Had you given us time, had you given us a chance, if you had let us wait, perhaps you would have come back, perhaps you would have returned, but you didn't even give us only one chance. So Allah Azza wa gives them time. And then often, often decades before they reach that level, when Allah Azza wa ordains punishment for them. وَلَا يَنْفَعُكُمْ نُصْحِي إِنْ أَرَدْتُ أَنْ أَنْصَحَ لَكُمْ إِنْ كَانَ اللَّهُ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يُغْوِيَكُمْ My counsel will not benefit you, for all my desire to counsel you, if Allah desires to lead you into error. هُوَ رَبُّكُمْ وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ He is your Lord and you will return to Him. Then Allah makes the following interpolation. أَمْ يَقُولُونَ افْتَرَاهُ or do they, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, say he, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, has invented it, meaning the Qur'an. قُلْ إِنِ افْتَرَيْتُهُ فَعَلَيَّ إِجَرَامِي Say, if I have invented it, the crime, meaning the sin and its penalty, will be laid at my door. وَأَنَا بَرِيءٌ مِّمَّا تُجْرِمُونَ 
I am innocent of the crimes which you commit, ascribing forgery to me. In, in verse 35, as Ibn Kathir ta'ala mentions, this is now a verse that is outside of the context of the story. So we've had so far the story of Nuh salam, and then after this verse, from verse 36 onwards, it goes back to the story of Nuh salam. But as you can see in verse 35, Allah is addressing the Prophet wasallam and addressing the people of Mecca, the Quraysh. And that is because they would come with many of the same excuses and many of the same demands that were brought by the people of Nuh and the other nations. They claimed that the Prophet was after only money. They claimed that his followers were only from the poor. They demanded Allah's punishment come to them. And all of these similar arguments that we can see in the story of Nuh it is exactly the same that the Quraysh said to the Prophet And that is why the Prophet from these stories takes consolation. And he takes steadfastness and he takes benefits and wisdoms and lessons because he often went through similar experiences with his people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him how Allah Azza wa dealt with them. It was revealed to Nuh, none of your people are going to believe except for those who already believe. So do not be distressed and sad at what mean the shirk they do. So Nuh prayed against them, saying, My Lord, do not leave any of them on the earth. And Allah answered his supplication and then said the following. So in verse 36, when he gets to that level, and Allah Azza wa says to him, There is no one else left now. Nuh makes a dua that is mentioned in Surah Nuh, Rabbi la tadhara Oh Allah, do not leave a single household from amongst them upon the face of the earth. And that is why, and we will mention this inshallah when we come to Surah Nuh. But that is why it is said that the flood destroyed everyone except the believers on the face of earth. So, Nuh makes this dua. And Allah will tell him that this dua is accepted, that the punishment is coming. And that Nuh should prepare himself and the believers for that punishment by building the ark. Build the ark under our supervision. Meaning we will oversee and protect it, and as we reveal and command. But do not address me concerning the wrongdoers who disbelieve, meaning do not ask me not to destroy them. They shall be drowned. The present tense is used in this narrative even though it is a story about the past. He began to build the ark and every time some nobles of his people passed him by, they ridiculed and mocked him. He said, though you ridicule us now, we will certainly ridicule you as you do us. Meaning we will be saved and you will be drowned. And that is because Nuh is building his ark in the middle of dry land. Oh Nuh, what are you doing on building an ark? Why? In the middle of dry land. And so they thought that he had gone crazy and so they began to make fun of him and ridicule him and mock him and he said to them you may laugh at me now but there will become a time when I will be the one who will be ridiculing you you will soon know who will receive a punishment which disgraces him and find unleashed against himself an everlasting punishment which will befall him so 
So when he finished constructing it, our command to destroy them came, and water bubbled up from the earth, literally an oven, and that was a sign for Noah. We said, load into it, meaning the ark, a pair of every species, a male and female of every species. In one version of the story, Allah gathered before Nuh the beasts and birds and other creatures. He began to place his hands on every species, his right hand on the male and his left on the female, and directed them into the ark. And your family, meaning his wife and children, except for those against whom the word was preordained, that they would be destroyed. They were his son, Kinan, and his wife, but not Sam, Ham, and Yafith, whom he embarked with their three wives, and all who believed. But those who believed with him were only few. It is said that there were six men and their wives, and it is also said that the total number of people in the ark was about 80, half of whom were men and half women. In verse number 40, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that once the ark was built, حَتَّى إِذَا جَاءَ أَمْرُنَا Then our command came meaning for the punishment. And the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we know is the flood. That the rain will descend from the فَفْتَحْنَا أَبْوَابَ السَّمَاءِ بِمَاءٍ مُنْهَمِرٍ The rain will descend from the heavens. وَفَجَّرْنَا الْعَرْضَ عُيُونَا And from the ground springs would gush forth. فَالْتَقَ الْمَاءَ عَلَىٰ أَمْنٍ قَدْ قُدِرٍ so the rain of the heavens and the water that is gushing from the earth meets at an appointed place. And that is the level and the height of the floods that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ordained. That is the command of Allah azza wa that is being referred to. حَتَّى إِذَا جَاءَ أَمْرُنَا And water bubbled up from the earth. Meaning there was a sign for Nuh alayhi salam. When should he embark on the ship, on the ark? When is the time for him to get on the ark with all of these people, these animals and leave? This is the sign. And the scholars have a lengthy discussion as to what is being referred to as Tannur. What is the meaning of Tannur? And Imam Al-Qurtubi tafsir mentions seven different opinions amongst them. The two of them that is uh, the most strong and Allah knows best is that number one, Tannur means the face of the earth. The face of the earth, meaning that when you see the water rising on the face of the earth, then that is the time for you to leave. So now that you can see the beginning of the flood, water is spreading across the earth, it is time for you to go. And the other one, which is the more literal meaning, as you have in the translation, is that the nur literally refers to the clay oven that is built on the ground, right? Kind of maybe somewhat similar to like a tandoor, that you have a clay oven on the ground that they used to cook on. And that oven, when the water starts bubbling out from it, because the water is gushing from the earth as well, as Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah Al-Qamar. So as the water starts to bubble from that clay oven, then that is your sign to leave. And those are the two strongest of the opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir, but there are many others as well. The point is that this was a sign for Nuh. This is the time for you to embark. So he did so. And with him he carried a pair of every animal as Allah says. But the narration of how many and how he did it and when he placed his hands and so on is not from the sunnah. These are from the Israelite traditions. And likewise with him he was told to take his family. And he took his sons Sam, Ham and Yafith and that is the names that are given in the books of history. And the son that we will now come to speak about that doesn't embark upon the ship that stays off is Kan'an. And likewise at the end of the surah concerning how many people entered on the, uh, embarked on the ship with him on the ark 
uh, there were six men or there were 80 of them. These are different statements collected from the Salaf and it is said more than these numbers unless there are many different narrations and again we have nothing authentic concerning that and Allah knows best. You say Kanaan even, but وقال اركبوا فيها بسم الله مجريها ومرساها He, meaning Nuh, said embarking it in the name of Allah be its voyage read as مجراها and مجراها and its landing read as مرساها and مرساها meaning the journey and its ending إن ربي لغفور رحيم Truly, my Lord is ever forgiving most merciful since he did not destroy us And the reading of مرساها so uh Majreha wa Mursaha is the, is the famous reading. Marsaha is a shad, it's a peculiar reading. It's not read by any of the ten Quran. It sailed with them through mountainous waves, meaning they were like mountains in their height and magnitude. يَا بُنَيَّ كَمْ مَعَنَا وَلَا تَكُمْ مَعَ الْكَافِرِينَ And Nuh called out to his son, Kan'an, who had kept himself apart from the ark. My son, come on board with us. Do not stay with the unbelievers. قَالَ سَآوِي إِلَى جَبَلِي يَعْصِمُنِي مِنَ الْمَاءِ He said, I will take refuge on a mountain. It will protect me and defend me from the flood. قَالَ لَا عَاصِمَ الْيَوْمَ مِنْ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمٌ Nuh said, there is no protection from Allah's command and punishment today except for those he, meaning Allah, has mercy on. Meaning they are the ones who are protected. Allah said, وَحَالَ بَيْنَهُمَ الْمَوْجُ فَكَانَ مِنَ الْمُغْرَقِينَ The wave surged in between them and he, Kan'an, was among the drowned. In verses uh, 42 and 43, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the story of the son of Nuh the one son that doesn't embark upon the ark. And Allah says that the waves when they came from this flood were like the heights of mountains. And so the son says to his father, because he's not a believer, he didn't believe in the message of his father, as for me, I will go to the highest mountain and I will seek shelter there. And his father said to him, there is no shelter today except for the one that Allah gives them protection. Question here that is very interesting is, why doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention the wife of Nuh alayhi salam? Why doesn't he mention she also disbelieved as Allah says, Allah sets forth the parable of those who disbelieve in the wives of Nuh and Lut. Both of their wives disbelieve. But Allah doesn't refer to her or her story. So they're both disbelievers. Why? Does Allah focus on the son? Some of the scholars said because of the position of a son and a child to a parent. The love that a parent has for their child and their, their tenderness and affection and care for them is more, to, more likely to be greater than they would have for their spouse. And others from amongst them said, and again we don't have any authentic narration, but some of them said because the wife of Nuh was openly a disbeliever. She openly disbelieved in Allah and she made no attempt to hide it. Whereas the son of Nuh showed apparently that he was a believer but inside he was a disbeliever more like hypocrisy he attempted to to please his father to show some signs of iman but actually he didn't believe and so when the test actually came he failed that test because he didn't have iman and that's why you have this discourse of Nuh saying he's my son because Allah will say to him you don't know his reality and Allah knows best 
وقيل يا أرض بلعي ماءك ويا سماء أقلعي It was said, earth swallow up your water, which, which issued from you. And the earth drank it all up except what descended from the sky, which became rivers and oceans. And heaven, hold back your rain, meaning stop raining, and it stopped. وَغِيضَ الْمَاءُ وَقُضِيَ الْأَمْرُ وَاسْتَوَتْ عَلَى الْجُودِ And the water subsided, and the affair of the destruction of the people of Nuh was concluded. And the ark came to land on Al-Judi, a mountain in Mesopotamia near Mosul. وَقِيلَ بُعْدًا لِلْقَوْمِ الظَّالِمِينَ And it was said, away with, meaning destruction to, the people of the wrongdoers, meaning the unbelievers. وَنَادَى نُوحٌ رَبَّهُ فَقَالَ رَبِّ إِنَّ بَنِي مِنْ أَهْلِي وَإِنَّ وَعْدَكَ الْحَقِّ وَإِنَّ وَعْدَكَ الْحَقُّ وَأَنْتَ أَحْكَمُ الْحَاكِمِينَ Nuh called out to his Lord and said, My Lord, my son, Can'an is one of my family, and you promised to save them, and your promise is surely the truth, and will not be broken, and you are the justest, meaning most knowledgeable, and fair of judges. قَالَ يَا نُوحُ إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ He, Allah said, Nuh, he is definitely not of your family, meaning those of them who are destined to be saved, or one of the people of your deen. إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحِ He is someone whose action was not righteous, read as, عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ عَنْ عَمَلَ غَيْرَ عَمِيلَ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحِ عَمِيلَ غَيْرَ صَالِحِ You're asking for him to be saved was not correct because he was an unbeliever. And the unbelievers will not be saved. فَلَا تَسْأَلْنِ مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمِ Do not therefore ask me, read as, تَسْأَلْنِ أَنْ تَسْأَلَنَّ For something about which you have no knowledge. Meaning, the deliverance of his son. إِنِّي أَعِظُكَ أَنْ تَكُونَ مِنَ الْجَاهِلِينَ I admonish you, lest you should be among the ignorant. By asking for something you have no knowledge of. And so, Nuh in these verses, 45-46 is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save his son the one that refused to embark upon the ark because as as I said one of the opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir is because he outwardly showed signs of iman that he showed that he believed outwardly and so Nuh salam says oh Allah you promised me that you would save my family why did you save him so Allah azawajal corrects him and says don't ask me about what you don't have any knowledge of indeed his actions were not righteous meaning that he wasn't a believer and so don't speak about that which you have no knowledge of. And then Nuh seeks refuge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his forgiveness from doing so. He said, my Lord, I seek refuge with you from asking you for anything about which I have no knowledge. If you do not forgive me for my neglect and have mercy on me, I will be among the lost. It was said, Nuh, descend from the ark with peace or with the greeting from us and with blessings, meaning good things on you and on the nations which will issue from those who are with you in the ark. In other words, from his children and descendants who are believers. But there are nations which come from among those who are with you, to whom we will give enjoyment in this world. And then a painful punishment from us will afflict them in the next world. They are the unbelievers. And 
that, meaning the story of Nuh, is some of the news of the unseen which was concealed from you, which we revealed to you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. مَا كُنْتَ تَعْلَمُهَا أَنْتَ وَلَا قَوْمُكَ مِنْ قَبْلِهَا لَا Neither you nor your people knew it, meaning the Qur'an, before this time. فَاصْبِرْ So be steadfast in conveying the message, and in the face of injury, as Nuh was. إِنَّ الْعَاقِبَةَ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ The best, meaning most praiseworthy end, result is for those who are God-fearing. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in verse 49 is told to adopt the methodology of Nuh alayhi in terms of his patience, in terms of his steadfastness, in terms of the way that he dealt with the rejection of his people and their constant mocking of him and their constant ridicule of him and the believers. And so Allah Azza gives him this message. And as you can see, these surahs are from the Meccan period when that oppression and transgression and that ridicule and mocking of the Muslims is at its height. And to add, we said their brother Hud from their tribe. قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ He said, my people, worship Allah and affirm his oneness. You have no God apart from him. إِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا مُفْتَوُونَ You are merely fabricators, in that you worship idols and deny Allah. يَا قَوْمِ لَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ أَجْرًا My people, I do not ask you for any wage for it, meaning conveying the message. In أَجْنِيَ إِلَّا عَلَى الَّذِي فَطَرَنِي My wage is the responsibility of him who brought me into being, meaning created me. أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ So, do you not use your intellect. وَيَا قَوْمِ اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ ثُمَّ تُوبُوا إِلَيْهِ My people, ask forgiveness of your Lord for committing shirk and then repent to him, meaning turn to him by obeying him. يُرْسِنِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِدْرَارًا He will send down, he will send heaven down to you in abundant rain. And it was at a time of drought and rain was scarce. وَيَزِدْكُمْ قُوَّةً إِلَىٰ قُوَّتِكُمْ And increase you with strength, meaning wealth upon strength, meaning children. وَلَا تَتَوَلَّوْ مُجْرِمِينَ Do not turn away as evildoers, meaning idolaters. In verse 52, as we mentioned in Tafsir of Surah Al-A'raf, the people of Hud السلام, which are the nation of Ad, are known for their military power and strength and their physical stature and the, and the, and the power that Allah gave to them and the strength that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala endowed them with. And this verse, verse 52, shows you that one of the most effective and best ways of bringing rizq of Allah to yourself is by making istighfar. By turning to Allah and seeking forgiveness. Because Allah says on the tongue of his Prophet Hud if you turn to Allah in forgiveness, Allah will open for you rain, meaning He will provide for you. And not only that, but it is also an indication that one of the ways that Allah increases you in blessing is by making istighfar. Allah gives you strength, and that is physical strength, and it is spiritual strength and psychological strength. Allah will make you stronger than you already are. By making istighfar of Allah Azza wa Jal. And something similar is narrated in the Sunnah when Fatima radiallahu anha, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, came to his house one day and didn't find him there but she found Aisha. So she asked her to relay a message to him that she needed a servant for her household chores. So Aisha radiallahu anha passed on the message with the Prophet ﷺ returned. The Prophet ﷺ goes to the house of Ali and Fatima radiallahu anhuma and he finds them lying down, meaning ready to go to bed because it was in the evening. And so he said to them, shall I tell you something which is greater than what you asked for? Meaning, you've asked for a servant, I'll give you something better. 
before you go to bed, say subhanallah 33 times, alhamdulillah 33 times, Allahu Akbar 34 times, that is better than a seven. Ali radiallahu anh says that I never left off making that dhikr every night before I went to bed. They said not even on the eve of battle, he said not even on the eve or the night before battle. And that is because it is something which brings you strength by the permission of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And Allah is saying to the people of Ad who are already immensely strong, that if you turn to Allah in forgiveness, He would bless your strength and increase it. قَالُوا يَا هُودُ مَا جِئْتَنَا بِبَيِّنَةٍ وَمَا نَحْنُ بِتَارِكِي آلِهَتِنَا عَنْ قَوْلِكَ They said, Hud, you have not brought us any clear sign, any proof of what you say. We will not forsake our gods for what you say. وَمَا نَحْنُ لَكَ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ We do not believe you. إِن نَقُولُ إِلَّا اعْتَرَاكَ بَعْضُ آلِهَتِنَا بِسُوءٍ We only say about you that one of our gods has driven you mad. They said that one of their gods had made him mad and befuddled him because he had spoken badly of the idols. قَالَ إِنِّي أُشْهِدُ اللَّهَ وَاشْهَدُوا أَنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِّمَّا تُشْرِكُونَ مِن دُونِهِ He said, I call on Allah to be my witness and you also bear witness that I am free of all the gods you have apart from him. فَكِيدُونِي جَمِيعًا So scheme against me, meaning plot my destruction, all of you together, you and your idols. And then grant me no respite or reprieve. I have put my trust in Allah, my Lord and your Lord. There is no creature, meaning no living creature that falls on the earth. He does not hold by the forelock. An expression meaning to have control over something and control it. There is no benefit or harm except by Allah's permission. The forelock is mentioned because of, because if someone has his forelock seized, it means he is in a state of extreme humiliation. <inaudible> My Lord is on a straight path, meaning the path of truth and justice. In verse 54, there is an error in the translation in the way that the translators have have done the translation of that verse, and that is because Allah Azza wa says, وَأَشْهِدُ أَنِّي بَرِيءٌ مِّمَّا تُشْرِكُونَ Bear witness that I am free of all of your gods. Then, مِن دُونِهِ Apart from him, meaning except for Allah, that is from verse 55, not part of 54. And so that is a mistake in the way that they've translated that verse. And so it ends, I am free of the gods that you associate with him. Apart from Allah, meaning apart from him, is from verse 55. فَإِن تَوَلَّوْا فَقَدْ أَبْلَغْتُكُمْ مَا أُرْسِلْتُ بِهِ إِلَيْكُمْ If you turn your backs, I have transmitted to you what I was sent to you with. وَيَسْتَخْلِفُ رَبِّي قَوْمًا غَيْرَكُمْ وَلَا تَغُرُّونَهُ شَيْئًا And my Lord will replace you with another people, and you will not harm him at all by your ship. إِنَّ رَبِّي عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ حَفِيرٌ My Lord is the guardian and preserver of everything. وَلَمَّا جَاءَ أَمْرُنَا نَجَّيْنَا هُودًا وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ بِرَحْمَةٍ مِّنَّا When our command, meaning punishment, came, we rescued Hud and those who had believed along with him by a mercy, meaning guidance from us. وَنَجَّيْنَاهُمْ مِّنْ عَذَابٍ غَلِيمٍ We rescued them from a harsh punishment. In verse 58, Allah Azza wa doesn't mention explicitly the punishment of the people of Hud. He says when our command came, meaning for the punishment, we punished them. 
But elsewhere in the Quran, Allah Azza tells us what that punishment was, and it was a violent wind. That wind didn't touch anything except that it made it into a ruin, destroyed them. And as Allah Azza says in the other verse in the Quran, with a strong, violent wind. That wind continued to torment them and punish them for seven days and eight nights. And by the end, you saw that the people were destroyed, were fallen flat on their faces as if they were hollow tree trunks. And that is how Allah destroyed these people. That it wasn't a quick punishment, but a punishment that lasted for a week. An intense, violent wind that would destroy them and that would leave them all hollow. That was Ad, a reference to their artifacts and remains. In other words, travel in the land and look at them. Then Allah describes their states and what they did. They denied the signs of their Lord and disobeyed all his messengers. In the plural, because whoever disobeys one messenger disobeys all the messengers, since they share in the fundamental principle of what they brought, which is affirmation of Allah's unity. And the lowly people follow the command of every obdurate tyrant, meaning their leaders who are obdurate against the truth. And that's a very important point that the author mentions in verse 59. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَعَصَوْ رُسُولَهُ They disobeyed all of Allah's messengers. And he doesn't say just one messenger, meaning the Prophet Huda for all of them. Because by rejecting one prophet, you reject them all. By not believing in one, you don't believe in any of them. And that is why even if someone said that I believe and worship Allah alone, I don't make any shirk with Allah, and I believe in all of the prophets of Allah except Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So I affirm la ilaha illallah, but I don't accept the second part, Muhammad rasulullah. That wouldn't be accepted. They wouldn't be classified as Muslim. And likewise, if a Muslim was to say that I believe in Allah and worship Him alone and believe in all of the prophets, including the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, except for Ibrahim, except Musa, except Isa, that is kufr. Because as the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, from the pillars of faith or pillars of iman is that you believe in Allah and His messengers, meaning all of them. And so we believe in Allah's messengers, those that we know by detail, then we believe in the detail, their names and their stories, as Allah relates to, the, to us in the Quran, or the Prophet mentioned in his authentic sunnah. And we believe in the rest of them generally, because we don't know the details, but we believe that Allah sent them, and Allah knows best how He sent them and where they went, but we believe in them in those general terms. وَأُتْبِعُوا فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا لَعْنَةً They were pursued by a curse from people in this world, and on the day of rising they will be cursed in front of all creatures. أَلَا إِنَّ عَادًا كَفَرُوا رَبَّهُمْ Yes, indeed. Ad rejected and denied their Lord. أَلَا بُعْدًا لِعَادٍ قَوْمِ So away with Ad, the people of Hud, meaning they were placed far from the mercy of Allah. وَإِلَىٰ ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا To Thamud, we said their brother Salih from their tribe. قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ He said, my people, worship Allah and affirm his unity. You have no God apart from him. هُوَ أَنْشَأَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ وَاسْتَعْمَرَكُمْ فِيهَا He brought you into being, meaning created you from the earth, by creating your ancestor Adam from it and made you its inhabitants and gave you dwellings in which you live. 
So ask his forgiveness for committing shirk and then repent to him. Meaning, turn to him by obeying him. My Lord is close to his creation by his knowledge and quick to respond to those who ask of him. So we come now in verse 61 onwards to the story of Salih and his people, Thamud, who, as we mentioned in the tafsir of Surah Al-Araf, are the remnants of the people of Ad, or some of them, as they came and they settled in that place that today is in the northern part of Saudi Arabia, known as Madain Salih. That is where they came and that is where they settled, where they found a short or scarce amount of water and they settled around that watering hole. And that is where they settled and that is where they began to live. And Allah Azza wa sent to them the Prophet Salih alayhi salam. And as we can see in this story, as we saw in the story of Hud, and as is a common theme amongst the Prophets of Allah Azza wa that the Prophets of Allah call them to Tawheed and they call them to make forgiveness for their sins. And that is the call of the Prophets, to make istighfar, to make tawbah. And that shows to you or shows to us the very important principle of making tawbah and turning to Allah in forgiveness and its place and station in our religion. That we should be people who constantly make tawbah, constantly turn to Allah. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ would do so 70 times in a sitting or 100 times in a day. As Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu mentions in the authentic hadith that we would sit and count the amount of times that the Prophet ﷺ would say, Allahumma gfilli wa tub alayhi. Oh Allah, forgive me and shower your repentance upon me. And he said that he would do this a hundred times, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. قَالُوا يَا صَالِحُ قَدْ كُنْتَ فِينَا مَرْجُوًا قَبْلَ هَذَا They said, Salih, we had great hopes in you that you would be a notable man before this happened, meaning before you did this. أَتَنْهَانَا أَنْ نَعْبُدَ مَا يَعْبُدُ آبَاؤُنَا Do you forbid us to worship what, meaning the idols our fathers worshipped? وَإِنَّنَا لَفِي شَكٍ مِمَّا تَدْعُونَا إِلَيْهِ مُرِيبٍ we have great doubts about what, meaning the message of divine unity, you are calling us to. He said, my people, what do you think? If I were to possess a clear sight from my Lord and he had given me mercy, meaning prophethood from him, who would help me and defend against the punishment of Allah if I disobeyed him? فَمَا تَزِيدُونَنِي غَيْرَ تَخْسِيرٍ You would not increase me, meaning by commanding me to do that, in anything but loss, meaning misguidance. وَيَا قَوْمِ هَذِهِ نَاقَةُ اللَّهِ لَكُمْ آيَةٍ My people, here is the shikamun of Allah as a sign for you. فَذَوْهَا تَأْكُلْ فِي أَرْضِ اللَّهِ So leave her alone to eat on Allah's earth. وَلَا تَمَسُّوهَا بِسُوءٍ فَيَأْخُذَكُمْ عَذَابٌ and do not inflict any harm on her by hamstringing her or you will be overcome by an imminent punishment if you do so but they hamstrung her a man named Hudur did the action on their instructions so he meaning Salih said enjoy yourselves and live in your land for three more days then you will be destroyed that is a promise which will not be belied. Then when our command came to destroy them, we rescued Salih and those who believed along with him, who numbered 4,000.
by a mercy from us, and we saved them from the disgrace of that day. Read as Yawmi idin and Yawma idin. Inna Rabbaka huwal qawiyyul aziz. Your Lord is the All-Strong, the Almighty. وَأَخَذَ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا الصَّيْحَةُ فَأَصْبَحُوا فِي دِيَارِهِمْ جَاهِمِينَ The great blast seized hold of those who did wrong, and mourning found them lying flattened in their homes, dead bodies on the ground. In these verses 66 and 67, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that the command of Allah Azza came to destroy the people of Thamud. And the author, rahimahullah, says that there were 4,000 of them, and again, we don't have any authentic narrations concerning their number. But Allah Azza wa Jal in this uh, telling of the story of Salih Islam actually mentions the command of Allah that is his punishment in verse 67 and that is the sayha, a great blast or a great scream. The sayha is a scream that came from the heavens that shattered them. And in Surah Al-A'raf as we covered in Surah Al-A'raf, Allah Azza wa Jal when he describes their punishment, Seth Rajfa, that a earthquake seized them. So they were not destroyed in one way but in two. Allah destroyed them from above with the scream that shattered and pierced them and from beneath them in that earthquake that was extremely fierce and that drove them into the ground. And that is how Allah Azza wa chose to punish them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he will mention in Surah Al-Ankabut punishes people in different ways from above and from beneath. And that is why the Prophet in his morning of Kaab would seek protection and refuge from Allah that he should be harmed from in front or from behind or from the right or the left or from above. And I seek refuge in your greatness that I should be punished from beneath me. Yeah. It was as if they had never lived there at all. Meaning as if they had never been in their homes. Yes, indeed, Thamud rejected their Lord. So away with Thamud. This means both the area and the tribe. Our messengers brought the good news of Ishaq and Ya'qub after him to Ibrahim. They said peace, and he too said Peace be upon you. And brought in a roasted calf without delay. In verse 69 onwards, Allah speaks about the story of Ibrahim. And the story of Ibrahim, as we can see, is a story that is a positive story. In the sense that Allah is giving him glad tidings. So it doesn't seem to go with the context of the other remaining stories in this surah. The story of Noah, the story of Lut that will come, the story of Hud and Saleh that we've taken, Shu'i, Musa, are all stories of destruction and, 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 and punishment. But the story of Ibrahim is not one of, story of, of destruction and punishment. It is a story of good news and glad tidings that he will be given a son that is Ishaq, and from him he will have a grandchild, Yaqub, and from them many others that will come. So it seems to be a positive story. So how does it fit into the context? The scholars said that the story of Ibrahim here is being mentioned in relation to the story of Lut. It is a part of the story of Lut. So the two stories are merged. And that is because, as we will see shortly, that Lut, Ibrahim will start to argue on behalf of Lut and his people. And that is the context in which it is mentioned and Allah knows best. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here the Amazing hospitality of 
Ibrahim والسلام, who is known as the father of the Arabs and the Arabs are known for the hospitality that they took from their ancestor Ibrahim السلام, that these strangers come that he doesn't know that he doesn't recognize but after he gives them the salams and greetings and welcomes them, he hurries not only to feed them, but to slaughter for them this calf that he will roast and prepare and cook and put in front of them, meaning giving to them the best of what he prepared. And Allah praises him for this because it is a sign of his excellence. Alayhi salatu when he saw that their hands were not reaching for it, he suspected them and felt afraid of them inside himself. They said, have no fear. We have been sent to the people, people of Luth to destroy them. And that is because these guests are angels that Allah has sent. So they don't eat and they don't drink. So when he presents the food and they stop, they don't eat, they don't put their hands forward. Ibrahim becomes afraid because now it seems that they have an ulterior motive. They're no longer just guests or visitors or people who are passing by. Why would you come to my house and not even eat? So he becomes afraid and they say, don't be afraid. We are angels from your Lord. His wife, whose name was Sarah, was standing there serving them. And she laughed out loud at the news of their destruction. فَبَشَّرْنَاهَا بِإِسْحَاقُ So we gave her the good news of Ishaq. وَمِنْ وَرَاءِ إِسْحَاقَ يَعْقُوبِ And beyond Ishaq, his son Ya'qub. The good news meant that she would live long enough to see Ya'qub. In verse 2, Allah speaks about the wife of Ibrahim and that is Sarah. And Sarah is the one that Ibrahim leaves his homeland with. And in the story that we mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah about Nimrud, when Nimrod, when Ibrahim is mentioned in, in the narration, when they come to Nimrod's court, and Ibrahim says, this is my sister, meaning my sister in my religion, referring to his wife Sarah. Nimrod asks to be secluded with Sarah. He takes her away. And then each time he tries to touch her, something happens to him and is unable to. He's seized with some type of seizure. And then it stops. And then he tries to come again, and it happens again. So every time he tries to approach the wife of Ibrahim السلام, he feels or is seized by some type of seizure. So then he says, you are not a human. You are some type of jinn or devil or something else. Leave me. Go. And in order to make her happy and to please them so that they don't do because he thinks that they're some evil people, he gives to them a slave girl by the name of Hajar. And it is Hajar that becomes, as we know, the mother of Ismail والسلام. So this story is referring to his wife, Sarah. Sarah, Allah Azza wa Jal says, فضحكت. She laughs out loud. And the scholars of tafsir have a number of opinions as to why it is that she's laughing out loud. Why is she laughing? Because they have come to tell her that we've come to destroy the people of Lot and she's smiling and laughing. Why is she laughing? Some of them say she's laughing at the destruction of the people of Lot because she's amazed at how these people, because of their evil and how rampant they have become, she is laughing that they will be destroyed. That is one opinion. The second opinion that is chosen by Al-Imam Al-Tabari and Al-Sheikh Ibn Sa'di and others, Rahimahullah, is that she was laughing in amazement as to how negligent and heedless these people had become. So she's laughing not in terms of mocking them, but she's amazed. And she laughs in amazement at their situation that they're so heedless that these angels will come and will destroy them. Others said that she's laughing because 
Ibrahim السلام, was afraid of these guests who were only three. So she was laughing because she thought, why is he scared of only these few people? Another said she laughing because of the news that she receives that she will be a mother, despite her old age. And despite the old age of her husband, as she will mention, as Allah will mention, that she says very shortly in the coming verses. And those are all opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir. And Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said, all of them are possible and Allah Azza wa knows best which one of them is correct. Qalat ya waylata. She said, woe is me. This expression is used when something extraordinary happens. How can I give birth when I'm not an when I am an old woman of 99 years and my husband here is an aged man of 100 or 120. This is indeed an astonishing thing that a child should be born to two old people. In verse 72, the ages that are given again are from Israeliyat, they're not from authentic narrations from the Prophet But the scholars use these verses, verse 71 and 72 as evidence that the son of Ibrahim that is slaughtered, who is known as the Dabih, the one that he was going to slaughter, is not Ishaq, it is Ismail alayhi salam. And that is the difference between the Muslim faith and the Jewish faith. The Muslims believe that it is Ismail, and the Jews believe that it is Ishaq. The scholars use this as a proof that it is Ismail. Why? How is there a proof that it is Ismail and not Ishaq? They said because Allah says that the angels gave them glad tidings of Ishaq, and after Ishaq that he would have children that he would have Yaqub. And so if he was going to be the one being slaughtered, it doesn't make sense. He, uh, Ibrahim would know that he wasn't going to be slaughtered, that the slaughter wouldn't go through, because Allah already promised him at the time of his birth that he would be a father himself. So how can he possibly be slaughtered if he's going to be a father? And therefore, it is Ismail because Ismail is the one that isn't given, Ibrahim isn't given that guarantee or that news concerning him. Al-Imam Ibn Kathir ta'ala said after mentioning the statement of the scholars and this is from the best and most precise of deduction using the Quran and the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, are you astonished at Allah's command being his power? Rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu alaykum ahlal bayt. May Allah's mercy and his blessings be upon you, people of the house of Ibrahim. إِنَّهُ حَمِيدٌ مَجِيدٌ He is praiseworthy, all-glorious, and generous. And it is based on that verse that we make, when we send salutations upon the Prophet ﷺ in the Salah, we send salutations and we send barakat upon the Prophet Ibrahim والسلام. When the feeling of fear left Ibrahim and the good news of a child reached him, he disputed with us, meaning with our messengers about the people of Lord. And that is the reason why the scholars say that this story is mentioned of Ibrahim. It is not necessarily about Ibrahim per se, but it is his relation to the story of Lut and their destruction. That Ibrahim begins to argue on their behalf. And Allah will go on to describe him now as his characteristics that he was forbearing, that he was gentle, that he was compassionate. Ibrahim was forbearing, meaning that he had great patience, compassionate, penitent, meaning continually repentant. 
He asked them, would you destroy a town which contains 300 believers? They said, no. He asked, would you destroy a town with 200 believers in it? They, they replied, no. He said, would you destroy a town with 40 believers in it? And they said, no. He said, would you destroy a town with 14 believers in it? And they replied, no. He said, what if there was one believer in it? No, they answered. He said, Lut is in it. They said, we know better who is in it. And this is the statement of Sa'id ibn Jubair. This narration is not a hadith, it is a statement of Sa'id ibn Jubair, rahimahullah ta'ala, and again it seems to be an Israelite tradition. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. But the point is that Ibrahim alayhi salam, as Allah mentions, began to argue with the angels concerning the people of Lut. When he went on for a long time arguing with them, they said, Ibrahim, turn away from this arguing. Your Lord's command to destroy them has come. A punishment is coming to them which cannot be repelled. When our messengers came to Lut, he was distressed for them, meaning sad on their behalf, and very concerned for them, because they were angels who had taken the form of handsome young men, and he feared what his people might do to them. And said, this is a dreadful day. His people came running to him excitedly when they learned of them. They were long used to committing evil acts. For a considerable period before their arrival, the people had been committing sodomy with men. He, meaning Lord, said, My people, here are my daughters, marry them, they are pure of you. So be fearful of Allah and do not shame me with my guests. Although the word for guest, daif, is in the singular here, it has a plural meaning. Is it not, not one rightly guided man among you who will command the right and forbid the wrong? In verse 78, when Lut says, O my people, these are my daughters. The scholars of Tafsir have two positions. The first is that they were his actual daughters that he's offering in marriage to them. That they were his daughters and he's saying, marry my daughters instead, meaning his actual daughters. And the other opinion that seems more apparent and Allah knows best, as is chosen by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, is that he's referring to the women of the town. And he's referring to them as his daughters because the Prophet has that station of being like a father to his people, in terms of wanting goodness for them and guidance. And that is why Allah Azzawajal says in the Quran, the Prophet, meaning وسلم, our Prophet, has more right to the believers than themselves. And his wives are like mothers to them. And that is the position of the Prophets in terms of their people, that they are like fathers to them. And that is what is being referred to here. There. That is not saying, marry my actual daughters, you can have enough daughters for all of the town, but is referring to the women of the town, marry them instead. And then the author, Rahimallah Ta'ala, mentions a issue of balagha, of eloquence in the Arabic language. And that is how the singular in the Arabic can be used to refer to the plural. And that is often in the Arabic language, that the singular term is used to refer to the plural, as is mentioned here, فَلَا تُخْزُونِي وَلَا تُخْزُونِي فِي ضَيْفِي Meaning, all of my guests. Meaning, because they would treat them all as if they would treat one of them, all of them are treated in the same way. So Allah Azza wa Jal uses the singular to refer to the plural. 
قالوا لقد علمت ما لنا في بناتك من حق they said you know we have no claim on meaning need of your daughters وإنك لتعلم ما نريد you know very well what it is we want meaning to commit sodomy قال لو أنني بكم قوة أو آوي إلى ركن شديد he said if only I had the strength to combat you or could take refuge in some powerful support such as a clan to help me fight you uh, in verse 80, as we mentioned before when we were speaking in Surah Al-A'raf, that Lut is a foreigner to his people, meaning he's not from that area. So he doesn't have a family, a clan, a tribe, like the other prophets had or some of them had when they came to their people that would support them, that would help them, that would defend them just based upon family and blood ties. Lut is a foreigner. And that is why in the hadith, the authentic hadith, the Prophet says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, May Allah have mercy on Lut, for he didn't have that clan and that support to help him. And then the Prophet said, So every Prophet that came after Lut was sent amongst the honorable of his people, meaning was sent amongst the strong clans and families amongst his nations, because then they would support him. Like our Prophet who sent in not only Quraysh, amongst Quraysh, but amongst Banu Hashim, who are amongst the premier clans of Quraysh. So the respect that is afforded to them, their status in Mecca, the status of Abu Talib and so on, is well known. And Allah Azza wa knows best. When the angels saw this, they said, Lord, we are messengers from your Lord. They will not be able to get at you with evil. فَأَسْنِي بِأَهْلِكَ بِقِطْعٍ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ وَلَا يَلْتَفِتْ مِنْكُمْ أَحَدٌ إِلَّا امْرَأَتَكَ Set out with your family, except for your wife. Read as, امْرَأَتَكَ and امْرَأَتُكَ So do not travel with her. In the middle of the night, and none of you should look back to see the terrible fate that will, be, that will befall them. إِنَّهُ مُصِيبُهَا مَا أَصَابَهُمْ what strikes them will strike her as well. It is said that he did not set out with her. It is also said that she set out but then turned around and exclaimed, O oh my people, and a stone hit and killed her. Lot asked the angels about the time of their destruction and they declared, Their promised appointment is the morning. He said, I want it to be sooner than that. And they said, Is the morning not close at hand? As Allah mentions in verse 81 that the wife Abdul Ta'ala was a disbeliever. And some of the narrations in the books of Tafsir, and again many of these are not authentic hadith, but either Israeli traditions or something else. So one of those narrations mentions that she is the one who told the people of Lot about the angels when they came. Because the angels came in an extremely handsome form. And so she was the one who told the people of the town, these new strangers, these new, new people have come to the town to visit. And so she was from the people who disbelieved, and Allah Azza wa says, so she was destroyed along with those people. When our command came to destroy them, we turned their cities upside down. Jibreel lifted them up into the sky and slammed them upside down onto the earth. And rained down on them stones of hard baked clay, piled on top of one another in layers. Each one earmarked by your Lord, meaning each stone bore the name of the person for whom it was intended. And they, meaning the stones or their land, are never far from the wrongdoers, such as the people of Mecca. So these people were destroyed in two ways as well. 
first that their city was turned upside down upon them. And some narrations mentioned that Jibreel used the tip of a single wing to do this to them. And number two, these stones that come and pelt them. And Ibn Kathir rahimahullah is from amongst the scholars who said that the stones being musawwama earmarked means that they had the names on them for those people. And Allah knows best. وَإِلَى مَدْيَنَ أَخَاهُمْ شُعَيْبًا And to Madian we sent their brother Shu'ayb. قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ اعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ He said, my people, worship Allah and affirm his unity. You have no God apart from him. وَلَا تَنْقُصُ الْمِكْيَانَ وَالْمِيزَانِ Do not give short measure and short weight. إِنِّي أَرَاكُمْ بِخَيْرٍ وَإِنِّي أَخَافُ عَلَيْكُمْ عَذَابَ يَوْمٍ مُحِيطٌ I see you prospering in possession of a blessing which makes you wealthy. And I fear for you, meaning if you do not believe, the punishment of an all-encompassing day which will destroy you. وَيَا قَوْمِ أَوْفُوا الْمِكْيَانَ وَالْمِيزَانَ بِالْقِسْطَ My people give full measure and full weight with justice. وَلَا تَبْخَسُ النَّاسَ أَشْيَاءَهُمْ Do not diminish people's goods, meaning do not curtail what is due to them in any way. وَلَا تَعْثَوُ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُفْسِدِينَ And do not go about the earth corrupting it by killing or any other type of wicked behavior. بَقِيَّةُ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ What enjoys with Allah Meaning Allah's eternal provision for you, <coughs> gained by your giving full weight and measure, is better for you than what you might gain by cheating people, if you are believers. وَمَا أَنَا عَلَيْكُمْ I am not set over you as your keeper, meaning a guardian over, your responsible, over you responsible for repaying you for what you do. I was sent to warn you. In this story now we're speaking about <coughs> Shu'ib and this particular uh, passage of the story of Shu'ib is unique in the Qur'an in the sense that Allah Azza wa goes into detail concerning the discourse between Shu'ib and his people. And so often the story of Shu'ib is not mentioned in so much detail. But it is mentioned like in Surah Al-A'raf in this passage with more detail. And so Allah Azza wa is speaking about his discourse, how he debated them, how he spoke to them, how he rationalized to them what they should believe and how they should believe it. And that's why Sufyan al-Thawri rahimahullah and it's the position of a number of scholars, they call Shu'ib Khatibul Anbiya. They call him the preacher amongst the prophets because of the way that he spoke to his people and the eloquence that he uses. He is known amongst the scholars as Khatib al-Anbiya. They said in mockery, Shu'aib, do your prayers instruct you to tell us that we should abandon what, meaning the idols our fathers worshipped, or stop doing whatever we want with our wealth. The meaning is that in their opinion this was clearly something fallacious to which someone who really meant good would never call them. <laughs> you are clearly the forbearing, the rightly guided. They said that in mockery. In verse 87, also from the eloquence of the Quran, Allah says, Ya Shu'ibu ta'muruk. Do your prayers instruct you? Meaning, and one of the meanings of the word prayer in the Qur'an is faith. Does your faith instruct you? As Allah says, as we mentioned about the story of the changing of the Qibla, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِيمَانَكُمْ Allah will not let your prayers go to waste. Iman can mean prayer, and prayer can mean Iman. And what it means here is, does your faith instruct you to say this? And 
from the benefits of using the word prayer is because of Allah Azza says in the Quran, in the munkar. Prayer prevents people from evil and from sin. And so it has the added benefit that when you pray and you pray correctly with attentiveness, turning to Allah Azza from the benefits of salah is that it keeps you away from harm and from evil and from sin. قال يا قوم أرأيتم إن كنت على بينة من ربي ورزقني منه رزقا حسنا. He said, my people, what do you think? If I do possess a clear sign from my Lord and He has given me His good, meaning lawful provision, why then should I want to mix it with the unlawful by miserliness and stinting? وما أريد أن أخالفكم إلى ما أنهاكم عن. I would clearly not want to go behind. Your backs and do something I have forbidden you to do. In I only want to put things right as far as I can by being just. My success is with Allah alone. I can only do this within the constraints, my limited capability, within the constraints of my limited capability, and that is also true of all acts of obedience. I have put my trust in him and I turn to him. وَيَا قَوْمِ لَا يَجْرِمَنَّكُمْ شِقَاقِي أَنْ يُصِيبَكُمْ مِثْلُ مَا أَصَابَ قَوْمَ نُوحٍ أَوْ قَوْمَ هُودٍ أَوْ قَوْمَ صَالِحٍ My people, do not let your breach, meaning disagreement with me, provoke you into doing wrong, so that the same thing happens to you, meaning the punishment, as happened to the people of Nuh, and the people of Hud, and the people of Salih. وَمَا قَوْمُ لُوطٍ مِّنْكُمْ بِبَعِيدٍ and the people of Lut are not far from dis- are not are not far distant from you. A reference either to the ruined houses of the people of Lut, which were quite near at hand, or to the time of their destruction, which was not so long before. And in verse 89, therefore, we see that Shu'ib comes after all of these prophets. Nuh is well known that he came before all of these other prophets. Hud comes before Salih, as is mentioned in the verses in Surah Al-Araf, and then Lut comes after the people of Salih at some point and Allah knows best how long the gaps are between these prophets and Ibrahim and Lot are contemporaries السلام, and then the people of Shu'ib come after them because Allah by this verse saying referring to Shu'ib referring to those prophets who came before him ask your Lord for forgiveness and then repent to him my Lord is most merciful to the believers, most loving to them. They said, proclaiming their lack of concern, Shu'aib, we do not understand much of what you say, and we see you are weak and humble among us. Were it not for your clan, we would have stoned you. وَمَا أَنْتَ عَلَيْنَا بِعَزِيزٍ We do not hold you in high esteem. In other words, they did not think that he was too noble to stone. It was his clan who were powerful. قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ أَرَهْضِي أَعَزُّ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَاتَّخَذْتُمُوهُ وَرَاءَكُمْ ظِهْرِيًّا He said, my people, do you esteem my clan more than you do Allah, so that you do not kill me because of them, not for the sake of Allah? You have made him, meaning Allah, into something to cast disdainfully behind your backs, meaning you abandon him and pay no attention to him. But my Lord encompasses everything that you do in knowledge and will repay you for it. 
ويا قوم اعملوا على مكانتكم إني عامل My people, do as you think best. That is what I am doing. سوف تعلمون من يأتيه عذاب يخزيه ومن هو كاذب You will certainly come to know who will receive a punishment to disgrace him and who is a liar. وَارْتَقِبُوا إِنِّي مَعَكُمْ رَقِيبٌ So look out, meaning wait for the result of the business. I will be on the lookout with you. وَلَمَّا جَاءَ أَمْهُنَا نَجَّيْنَا شُعِيبًا وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ بِرَحْمَةٍ مِنَّا When our command came, ordering the destruction, we rescued Shu'ayb and those who had believed along with him by a mercy from us. وَأَخَذَتِ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا الصَّيْحَةُ فَأَصْبَحُوا فِي دِيَارِهِمْ جَاهِمِينَ The great blast, meaning a shout from Jibreel, seized hold of those who did wrong, and mourning found them lying flattened corpses in their homes. Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse 24 mentions the destruction of the people of Shu'ib And in this verse he speaks about again the Sayha, which is that scream or that blast from the heavens. In Surah Al-A'raf, as we mentioned when we did the tafsir of the story there, Allah mentions that they were destroyed also by the Rajfa, which is the earthquake that struck them. And a third punishment for the people of Shu'ib is mentioned in Surah Al-Shu'ara, and that is Adabu Yawmidullah, the punishment of a dark day, which some of the scholars of tafsir said is pieces of the heavens falling upon them, because that is one of the demands that they made to Shu'ib. If you are true for us, cause chunks of the, of the sky to fall upon us. So some of the scholars said, the dark day punishment that also befound them was Allah responding to them by causing pieces of the sky to fall upon them in destruction. And Allah knows best. As if they had never lived there at all. أَلَا بُعْدًا لِمَدْيَنَ كَمَا بَعِدَتْ ثَمُودِ Yes, indeed. Away with Madian as with Thamud. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مُوسَى بِآيَاتِنَا وَسُلْطَانٍ مُبِينٍ We sent Musa with our signs and clear manifest authority. إِلَى فِرْعَوْنَ وَمَلَئِهِ To Pharaoh and his ruling circle. فَاتَّبَعُوا أَمْرَ فِرْعَوْنَ وَمَا أَمْرُ فِرْعَوْنَ بِرَشِيدٍ They followed Pharaoh's command, but Pharaoh's command was not rightly guided, meaning correct. يَقْدُمُ قَوْمَهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فَأَمْرَدَهُمُ النَّارِ He will go ahead of his people on the day of rising, meaning they will follow him then as they followed him in this world, and lead them down so that they enter into the fire. وَبِئْسَ الْوِرْدُ الْمَوْدِ What an evil watering hole to be led to. وَأُتْبِعُوا فِي هَذِهِ لَعْنَةً وَيَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ They are pursued by a curse in this world and a curse on the day of rising. بِئْسَ الْرِفْتُ الْمَغْفُودِ What an evil gift to be given. And as we mentioned when we discussed the story of the table spread in at the end of Surah Al-Ma'idah that from the worst people to suffer punishment will be the people of Pharaoh. As Allah Azzawajal says وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ أَدْخِلُوا آلَ فِرْعَوْنَ أَشَدَّ الْعَذَابِ and on the day that the hour is established, the people of Pharaoh will be given the most severe of torment and punishments. That which has been mentioned is some of the news of the cities which we relate to you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Minha Some of them, meaning the cities, are still standing, although their people have been destroyed, while others are now just stubble, where the people have been destroyed and there is no trace of buildings either, except for the equivalent of stubble after a field has been harvested. We did not wrong them, destroying them for no sin, rather they wronged themselves by committing shirk. فَمَا أَغْنَتْ عَنْهُمْ آلِهَتُهُمُ الَّتِي يَدْعُونَ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ لَمَّا جَاءَ أَمْرُ رَبِّكَ The gods they called upon and worshipped besides Allah did not help them at all or defend them when Allah's command, meaning punishment, came upon them. وَمَا زَادُوهُمْ غَيْرَ تَتْبِيبٍ They did nothing but increase their ruin, meaning their worship of idols only increased them in loss. وَكَذَلِكَ أَخْذُ رَبِّكَ إِذَا أَخَذَ الْقُرَى وَهِيَ ظَالِمَةِ Such a seizing is the iron grip of your Lord when he seizes the people of the cities which do wrong by perpetrating wrong actions. Nothing will avail them when he seizes them. إِنَّ أَخْذَهُ أَلِيمٌ شَدِيدٌ His grip is painful, violent. Al-Bukhari and Muslim related from Abu Musa al-Ash'ari that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said Allah gives respite to a wrongdoer but then when he seizes him he does not escape him. Then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited this ayah. Such is the iron grip of your Lord. There is certainly a sign, meaning lesson, in that the stories mentioned for anyone who fears the punishment of the next world on the day of rising. That is a day to which mankind will all be gathered. وَذَٰلِكَ يَوْمٌ مَشْهُودٌ That is a day which will be witnessed by everyone, meaning by all sentient creatures. وَمَا نُؤَخِّرُهُ إِلَّا لِأَجَلٍ مَعْدُودٍ We will only postpone it until a predetermined time, meaning a time already known by Allah. يَوْمَ يَأْتِ لَا تَكَلَّمُ نَفْسٌ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ On the day it comes, no self will speak except by his, meaning Allah's permission. فَمِنْهُمْ شَقِيٌّ وَسَعِيدٌ Some of them will be wretched and others glad. And that was predestined before the beginning of time. فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ شَقُوا فَفِي النَّارِ لَهُمْ فِيهَا زَفِيرٌ وَشَهِيقٌ As for those who are wretched in Allah's foreknowledge, they will be in the fire, where they will sigh and gasp. In verse 106, As for those who are wretched, yes, in Allah's knowledge, but in reality as well. Because on Yom Al-Qiyam, it, it will not just be the knowledge of Allah that He knew about them that they will be judged upon, but the reality of their actions and what they did in their lifetime that Allah Azza wa Jal will punish them for. Remaining in it timelessly forever, as long as the heavens and earth endure, except as your Lord wills, to make it longer, which has no limit. The meaning is that they will be in it forever. Your Lord is a doer of what He wills. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, verse number 107 says that they will remain therein forever, so long as the heavens and earth continues, except for those whom your Lord wills. Who are, who are the exception that Allah Azza wa is making? What is this exception that Allah is referring to? And the scholars differ on a number of uh, different views concerning this. The first of them is the opinion of Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah, that the exception is the people who are the, the sinners of the believers, that they will be punished for a short while and then they will be made to leave. 
and others from the scholars of Tafsir said that what's being referred to as the exception is that they will be punished forever for the exception of a time and that time period is the time that they spend in this life or the time of the grave or the time of the standing of the day of judgment because that is not necessarily punishment for all of them so that is the exception that is being uh, referred to and others from amongst the scholars of tafsir such as Abu Hayyan rahimahullah ta'ala the famous scholar of tafsir who wrote a tafsir that focuses on the Arabic language in the Quran and it is the opinion that was supported by Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah ta'ala is that the exception here means that there is no exception meaning that they will remain therein forever without exception that the lack in here illa ma shad illa means without exception and Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah as he usually does in his tafsir, gives many verses of poetry showing how the word illa can refer to meaning without. And he does that to show that this is the opinion that he considers to be strongest. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. As for those who are glad, read as su'idu and sa'idu. They will be in the garden, remaining in it timelessly forever, as long as the heavens and earth endure, except as your Lord wills, as mentioned above, and he indicates it for them. An uninterrupted gift. The gift, meaning the gift, is free of obligation. But Allah knows best what he means. So be in no doubt, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, about what, meaning the idols, these people worship. Allah will punish them as he punished those before them. This is solace for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. مَا يَعْبُدُونَ إِلَّا كَمَا يَعْبُدُ آبَاءُهُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ They only worship as their forebears worshipped previously, and we punish them. وَإِنَّا لَمُوَفُّهُمْ نَصِيبَهُمْ غَيْرَ مَنْ we will pay them their portion of the punishment in full with no rebate. وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَا مُوسَى الْكِتَابَ فَاخْتُنِفَ فِيهِ We gave Musa the book, meaning the Torah, and people differed concerning it. There was both affirmation and denial, as was the case with the Qur'an. وَلَوْلَا كَلِمَةٌ سَبَقَتْ مِنْ رَبِّكَ لَقُضِيَ بَيْنَهُمْ And had it not been for a prior word from your Lord, Meaning that the reckoning and the repayment of creatures would be deferred until the day of rising. It, meaning what they disagreed about, would already have been decided between them in this world. They, meaning the deniers, are indeed in grave doubts about it. Your Lord will pay each one of them, meaning each creature, in full repayment for their actions. He is aware of what they do. Allah knows their inward and their outward. Go straight in terms of action, as you have been commanded by your Lord, and call people to Him. And also those who turn with you to Allah and believe should go straight. And do not exceed the bounds, meaning the limits set by Allah. He sees what you do and will repay you. Do not rely on and incline with love and flattery to those who do wrong, or be content with what they do, thus causing the fire to afflict you. For 
have no protector to protect you from it besides Allah. Then you will not be helped against Allah's punishment. Establish the prayer at each end of the day, morning and evening, referring to the subh, dhuhr and asr prayers, and in the first part of the night, referring to the maghrib and insha prayers. Good actions, such as the five prayers, eradicate bad actions, meaning minor wrong actions. This was revealed about someone who kissed a woman who was not a relative of his and told the Prophet ﷺ. He asked, is this for me? The Prophet ﷺ answered, it is for all of my community, collected by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. This is a reminder for people who pay heed and are warned. In verse 114, at the beginning of the verse, Allah established the prayer at the end of each day. And the author says that it refers to Dhuhr and Asr and Maghrib and all of the five prayers. And this is, this is the statement of Mujahid that he said that it refers to all of the five prayers. And it doesn't mean just the beginning or the end of the day, but it means the period. So the beginning of the day meaning all of the prayers in the day and the beginning of the night meaning all of the prayers that come in the night. And the other opinion is more literal and the one that is chosen by Imam al-Tabari is that it refers to the Fajr and Maghrib prayers alone. The Fajr and Maghrib prayers because they are the ones that begin at the beginning of the day and the beginning of the night. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And this, re- and this narration that he mentions Allah, is authentic in Bukhari and Muslim. That a man came and he uh, came to the Prophet and said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, I kissed someone that I should not have kissed. Meaning a woman that was not halal for me to kiss. So Allah Azza wa revealed this verse. Inna al-hasanat For minor sins, good deeds, they eradicate evil deeds. So when you do a bad deed, followed up by a good deed, it will eradicate it, it will remove it. The man said, O Messenger of Allah, is this specific to me? He said, rather, it is for all of my ummah. And that is what is being referred to. Is this for me? He said, it's for all of my community. Meaning, he asked, is this only for me? He said, no, it is for the whole ummah. And be steadfast, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa meaning enjoy the harm your people do you. Or it may mean be steadfast in your prayer. Allah does not let the wage for steadfastness in obedience of good doers go to waste. Without there had been more people with the vestige of good, meaning people who have deen and excellence among the generations, meaning past nations of those who came before you, who forbade corruption in the earth, in other words, they did not do that. Other than the few among them whom we saved, they did forbid it, and so we saved them. Those who did wrong by perpetrating corruption and not forbidding it, gladly pursued the life of luxury that they were given and were evildoers. وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ لِيُهْلِكَ الْقُرَى بِظُلْمٍ وَأَهْلُهَا مُصْلِحُونَ Your Lord would never have destroyed the cities wrongfully, while as their inhabitants, meaning the believers, were putting things right. And this is from the proofs in 117 of the virtues of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Allah says that He doesn't punish a people so long as their people are trying to do things right, meaning that they're enjoining one another and one another to what is good and forbidding one another from what is harmful and evil. 
ولو شاء ربك لجعل الناس امه واحده if your lord had wanted to he would have made mankind into one community with one deen ولا يزالون مختلفين but they persist in their differences in respect of the deen illa man rahima rabbuk except for those whom your lord has mercy on and for whom he desires good so that they do not disagree وَلِذَانِكَ خَلَقَهُمْ That is what he created them for. Meaning he created the people who disagree for this and the people on whom he has mercy for that. وَتَمَّتْ كَلِمَةُ رَبِّكَ لَأَمْلَأَنَّ جَهَنَّمَ مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ وَالنَّاسِ أَجْمَعِينَ So that the word of your Lord would be fulfilled. I will fill up the cloud with the jinn and mankind altogether. وَكُلَّنْ نَقُصُ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَنْبَاءِ الرُّسُلِ مَا نُثَبِّتُ بِهِ فُؤَادَكَ We have given you all that is needed of, of this news about the messengers so that we may make your heart firm and tranquil by means of it. وَجَاءَكَ فِي هَذِهِ الْحَقُّ وَمَوْعِظَةٌ وَذِكْرَى لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ The truth has come to you in this and an admonishment and reminder to the believers. The believers are singled out for mention since they benefit by it through their belief in it as opposed to the unbelievers who do not. وَقُلْ لِلَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ اَعْمَلُوا عَلَى مَكَانَتِكُمْ إِنَّا عَامِلُونَ Say to those who do not believe, do, meaning act as you think best. That is what we are doing. This is a threat to them. وَانْتَظِرُوا إِنَّا And wait for the outcome of your business. We too are waiting for that. وَلِلَّهِ غَيْبُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The unseen of the heavens and the earth belongs to Allah. He has knowledge of what is unseen in both heavens and the earth. وَإِلَيْهِ يُرْجَعُ الْأَمْرُ كُلُّهُ And the whole affair will be returned to him, meaning he will take revenge on those who disobeyed. فَاعْبُدُهُ وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَيْهِ So worship him by affirming his unity and put your trust in him. He will be enough for you. وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ Your Lord is not unaware of what you do. Read as تَعْمَلُونَ and يَعْمَلُونَ They do. Meaning he defers them to their predetermined time. Surah Yusuf, Joseph. This surah is Meccan except for ayat 1, 2, 3 and 7 which are Medinan. It has 111 ayat and was revealed after Surah Hud. So we come on to the 12th surah of the Quran which is the surah that is named after the Prophet Yusuf والسلام, known as Joseph in the Bible. And as you can see with the story of Hud, the author or the translator didn't give a biblical uh, translation of that name because the Prophet Hud is not a prophet that is mentioned in the Bible. And some of the scholars mentioned the reason for that is because as the Prophet said in a narration that Hud and Salih and Shu'ib were from the prophets that are sent to the Arabs. So their mention is not mentioned in the Old or the New Testament, and Allah Azza wa knows best. This surah is a Meccan surah in the opinion of the vast majority, if not all of the scholars of Tafsir. And some of them said, except for some of these verses, as you can see, that there is an exception that has been made. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alif Allah knows best what these letters mean. Tilka ayatul kitabil those are the signs of the clear book, meaning ayat of the Qur'an. It is clear in that it makes the truth clear from falsehood. We have sent it down as an Arabic Qur'an, meaning in the Arabic language, 
so that perhaps you will use your intellect and understand its meanings. نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن. We tell you the best of stories in revealing this Quran to you. وإن كنت من قبله لمن الغافلين. Even though you were unaware of it before it came. Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse number three says that we mention to you the best of stories. And in the Sahih of Ibn Hibban. Rahimahullah, he mentioned in a narration that the companions asked the Prophet for stories. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse. And so the companions were asking Allah for more stories in the Quran because we know that at the beginning of the revelation, the early revelation speaks about issues of Tawheed and it speaks about Jannah, Paradise and Hellfire and the Day of Judgment and so on. And so some of the companions said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, if only you would ask Allah to relate to us more stories in the Quran. And so Allah Azza wa began to relate to them stories and we mentioned Surah Sa'd and Surah Arafah from the early revelations in that regard. The author of rather Allah Azza wa mentions here, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ We have sent down or we tell you the best of stories in revealing this Qur'an to you. And the scholars have two different approaches as to understanding this verse, the best of stories. Some of them said that it is particular to Surah Yusuf. That is what is being referred to as the best of stories. And that is the most common understanding that most people have when they describe Surah Yusuf. What is Surah Yusuf? It is considered to be the best of stories in the Quran. And that is the opinion of some of the scholars. And the reason why some of them said is because it's a story about forgiveness and reconciliation. Others from amongst them said it's a story that mentions everyone from kings to prisoners to uh, rulers to parents to children to brothers it's like everyone is in there and there are different other reasons that they said concerning this the second approach amongst the scholars of tafsir which is the stronger and more correct opinion and Allah knows best because the Quran itself seems to support this is that what is being referred to as the best of stories is all of the stories of the Quran and not just the story of Yusuf and this is the position that was greatly supported by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah and others from amongst the scholars of tafsir such as Ibn Ashur and others mentioned this and that is because firstly Allah says these are the best of stories in revealing this Quran to you and Allah doesn't say in this story to you but Allah says in all of the Quran meaning that just as all of the Quran has clear signs has guidance, has light, has mercy then all of the stories of the Quran are from the best of stories that you will hear because they are truthful and they are full of lessons and they are full of wisdom and they are eloquent in the way that Allah Azza wa tells them. And that is a better tafsir of the Quran. It is a better tafsir of this verse to say that it refers to all of the stories of the Quran instead of just the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. No doubt the story of Yusuf alayhi salam has many lessons and there is much in it from benefits. But as Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah says, Allah mentions the story of Musa alayhi salam far more times than he mentions the story of Yusuf. And the lessons contained therein are far greater than the stories, the, the, the lessons that you find in Surah Yusuf. And so therefore, the general understanding of the stories of the Qur'an leads to that opinion being that what Allah is referring to and Allah knows best is when He says, we tell you the best of stories in revealing this Qur'an to you, that it is general as Allah makes it general in this verse, referring to all of the stories, and to define it and to make it we find only to the story of Yusuf is the weaker of the two opinions and Allah knows best.
إذ قال يوسف لأبيه يا أبت إني رأيت أحد عشر كوكبا والشمس والقمر رأيتهم لي ساجدين Remember when Yusuf told his father, Ya'qub, Father, I saw in a dream 11 bright stars and the sun and the moon as well. I saw them all prostrate in front of me. The masculine plural, Sajideen, is used in prostrate, even though it is usually only used for people, not other things. So from verse 4 onwards, from the very beginning of this surah, we begin with the story of Yusuf And the story of Yusuf is an exception in the Quran, in the sense that Allah Azzawajal, as we've seen in Surah Hud and Surah Al-A'raf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala usually divides the story of the prophets and disperses them throughout the Quran. But the story of Yusuf is a story that is unique in these two ways. Number one, the story is mentioned all together in one place. And number two, that we more or less have all of his life story in this, story, in this surah as well. And that is also rare because Allah about Nuh and Hud and Salih and Ibrahim and other prophets only gives us what is relevant to the Quran. What he, Allah considers relevant to those parts of the Qur'an. And we don't really have a full biography in the Qur'an of a Prophet of Allah other than Yusuf and other than Musa salam. But Musa's story is also dispersed throughout the Qur'an. Whereas Yusuf's story is mentioned in a singular place. And some of the scholars said the reason for that is because of the lessons that it contains of all of these relationships and the issues of love that are discussed and the competing interests and so on and so forth. The Prophet wasallam described the Prophet Yusuf السلام, and he said that he is from the most noblest of people because he is noble, the son of one who was noble, the son of one who was noble, the son of one who was noble. For he is Yusuf, the son of Yaqub, the son of Ishaq, the son of Ibrahim. قال يا بني لا تقصص رؤياك على إخوتك فيكيدوا لك كيدا He said, my son, do not tell your brothers your dream lest they devise some scheme to injure you meaning they might devise some way to destroy you out of envy because they might interpret the dream as the stars representing them, the sun, your mother and the moon, your father إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لِلْإِنسَانِ عَدُومٌ Shaytan is a clear-cut enemy to man with clear enmity and this shows that a father knows his children best. And it is allowed for, therefore, for a father to say to one of his children to conceal something or to give them special instruction with regards to the rest of their siblings if they think that it is something which, uh, which will benefit them and continue to bring harmony amongst them. وَكَذَلِكَ يَجْتَبِيكَ رَبُّكَ وَيُعَلِّمُكَ مِن تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَادِيثِ Accordingly, as shown by your dream, your Lord will pick you out, meaning choose you and teach you the true meaning of events, meaning the interpretation of dreams. And perfectly fulfill his blessing, meaning prophethood on you as well as on the family of Yaqub, as he fulfilled it perfectly before by bestowing prophethood upon your forebears, Ibrahim and Ishaq. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Most certainly, your Lord is knowing of His creation, wise in what He does to them. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي يُوسُفَ وَإِخْوَتِهِ آيَاتٌ لِلسَّائِلِينَ In Yusuf and his twelve brothers, there are signs for every one of those who wants to ask and reflect. إِذْ قَالُوا لَيُوسُفُ وَأَخُوهُ أَحَبُّ إِلَىٰ أَبِيْنَا مِنَّا وَنَحْنُ عُصْبَةٌ 
Remember when they declared, meaning the brothers said to one another, Why? Yusuf and his full brother, meaning Binyamin, are dearer to our father than we are, although we constitute a powerful group. <laughs> our father is clearly making a mistake by preferring him and his brother to us. And in verse number 8 is another proof showing the difference between a person's love and between fulfilling the rights of others. As we mentioned before in Surah Nisa, that it is allowed for a person to have greater love for one of their children or one of their siblings or someone else more than others, so long as that doesn't lead to them taking away their rights or not fulfilling their rights completely. And this is an evidence of that because Allah Azza doesn't rebuke the Prophet Yaqub for the extra love that he had for his son Yusuf but rather as long as the rights of them are being fulfilled. And that parent shouldn't make it so apparent so that as we can see in this story that jealousy becomes uh, prevalent amongst the rest of the siblings. Kill Yusuf or expel him to some faraway land so that your father will look to you alone, meaning turn to you and not pay attention to other than you after your killing or banishing Yusuf. And then you can be people who do right by repenting. And this is always the trap of shaitan in verse number 9. Sin, and then you can be righteous. Do evil, then you can make tawbah, and then you can go back to being good. One last time, then make tawbah. Okay, Ramadan's coming up soon. It's okay in two weeks. Just continue. In Ramadan, you're going to make tawbah. Or you're planning to go for hajj next year. So it's okay. Carry on till then. And the hajj, Allah will forgive all of your sins. That is always the trap of shaitan. And as we will see in this story, that trap is once it ensnares you, it just becomes worse and worse. Because their story doesn't just finish with them doing one simple act and then they become righteous. But it continues and it continues. And many years later, when their younger brother, Binyamin or Benjamin is involved, they too will be included in that. And so Allah is showing us this principle here. Don't believe in the traps of shaitan and in his false promises. One of them, in Yahuda, said, Do not take Yusuf's life. But throw him to the bottom of the dark well, read as Ghayaba and Ghayabat, so that some travelers may discover him, if this is something that you have to do. Meaning, if you want to get rid of him, then confine yourselves to this. So their jealousy became so rampant that they were willing to kill their own blood brother, to kill him. And one of them, it is said he was the eldest amongst them. He said to them, don't kill him. But if you're going to get rid of him, well, throw him down a one and leave him for dead. And someone will come across him sooner or later because wells in those days were watering holes. Someone, a traveler, will soon come by and get the watering can and or draw up water and they will discover him and take him. And we'll be rid of him. But don't go to that level of killing him. قالوا يا أبانا مالك لا تأمنا على يوسف وإنا له لناصحون. They said, our father, what is wrong with you that you refuse to trust us with Yusuf when in truth we only wish him well and will take care of him. أرسله معنا غدا يرتع ويلعب. Why don't you send him out with us tomorrow to the desert so he can enjoy himself and play about? Read as يرتع ويلعب and also نرتع ونلعب. We can enjoy ourselves and play about. All of us will make sure that he is safe. قَالَ إِنِّي لَيَحْزُنُنِي أَن تَذْهَبُوا بِهِ 
he said, it grieves, it grieves me to let him go with you and to part with him. I fear a wolf might come and eat him up, meaning there were many wolves in their land. While you are heedless, not attending him. They said, if a wolf does come and eat him up, when together we make up a powerful group, in that case we would truly be in loss, if a group of us could not defend him. But when, in fact, they did go out with him and gathered all together and agreed to put him at the bottom of the well, which they did after removing his shirt, hitting him, humiliating him, and, and almost killing him. When he had been lowered halfway down the well, they dropped him the rest of the way so that he would die, and he fell into the water. He saved himself by clambering onto a stone. They called to him and he answered them, thinking that they would have mercy on him. They then wanted to crack his head with a stone, but Yehuda stopped them doing that. We then revealed to him in the well, this was true revelation, even though he was only a young boy at the time, in order to set his heart at rest. That you will inform them of this deed they perpetrate at a time in the future when they are totally unaware that it is, that it is you. In verse 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when they came, they obviously enacted their plan. Once they've taken their brother Yusuf away from their father Yaqub they enact their plan of throwing him down the well. And this is, it seems, from the Israelite traditions, and Allah Azza knows best their manner of taking him down in the well. But according to this, they were lowering him down, and as he was halfway, they cut the rope so that he would fall the rest of the way. Meaning that even though they had agreed that they wouldn't kill him, they're doing their utmost to inflict upon him major harm. And if he happens to die in the process, then so be it. But again, the older brother stops them from doing so. And we revealed to him. As the author here says, it is his true revelation. Another scholar said, it is not true revelation, but it is inspiration that he had within his heart, just as he saw the dream before. But his prophethood will come slightly later, as Allah Azza wa will mention in a few short verses. And Allah Azza wa knows best. <coughs> That night they came back to their father in tears. Saying, Father, we went out to run a race and left Yusuf together with our things, meaning our clothes, and then a wolf appeared and ate him up. But you are never going to believe us now. Meaning believe that we are telling the truth, not even though we really tell the truth. Because you suspect us regarding the story because of your love for Yusuf and think badly of us. And that is the weakness of sin and the weakness of lying. Their father says to them, if you take Yusuf, a wolf's going to kill him and eat him. And when they come back, they don't even devise a different plan, but they use the same thing that their father told them that was going to happen. And they come back with exactly the same excuse. And that is to show the futility and the weakness of lying and sinning in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَا أَنْتَ بِمُؤْمِنٍ لَنَا And you will not believe us even if we are truthful. Or as Suyuti says, because you already suspect us, you wouldn't agree with us. Even if it was the truth, you wouldn't be willing to accept it from us. 
وَجَاءُوا عَلَى قَمِيصِهِ بِدَمٍ كَذِبٍ They then produced his shirt with false blood on it. It was blood on it because they had killed a lamb and splashed it with the blood, but they neglected to rip it. They said that it was his blood. When Yaqub saw that it was undamaged, he knew that they were lying. قَالَ بَنْ سَوَّلَتْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ أَمْرًا He said, it is merely that your lower selves have suggested something to you and made it seem attractive, which you did. But beauty lies in showing steadfastness. There is no anxiety when steadfastness is displayed. It is Allah alone who is my help, and whom I ask for help in face of the event that you described. What you have mentioned about what happened to Yusuf. In verse number 18 is an amazing principle as to how we deal with our families and the family politics that is inevitably there. And that is that Yaqub knows that his sons are lying. He can see that the, son, that the shirt that he claims is the shirt of Yusuf is undamaged, it's unripped, nothing's happened to it. And no wolf in the history of mankind has ever you know, taken off a shirt in such a pristine manner before it devoured someone. So he knows that they are lying. But he says, I will be patient. Because for him to go and delve and, 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 and start to split them and interrogate them would lead to further division further problems, further issues for them. And what they've done to Yusuf is done. He has no recourse now anyway except to trust in Allah. They will not admit, they will not agree, and they will not turn him back or return him back to his father. So he trusts in Allah Azza wa And he looks for the greater good and the long-term vision of being, uh, of being patient. Even though, as we know, as the story continues, it will increase him in personal grief and hardship and difficulty. But he does it for the benefit of his family to keep them together. And Allah Azza wa rewards him for that patience and for that struggle that he endures by eventually reuniting them all and making his brothers people who make tawbah to Allah Azza wa his other sons rather, making tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and returning back to him. And that is a period of decades, not a week or a month or a year. And if someone can have that patience with their family, be it their children or be it whoever else it is, and that is one of the beauties of this surah that it speaks about that relationship of family. Surah Yusuf is a surah of relationships with parents and children and siblings and extended family members and the people that are around you that you work with, that you happen to come into contact with in society. And Allah is showing us this principle that if you can be patient, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you that reward and make things easier for you. As the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Muslim who mixes with others and is patient upon their harm is better than the Muslim who doesn't mix with them and is not patient upon their harm. Because whenever there are people around you, people's personalities, people's characters, people's motivations, people's agendas will constantly bring some type of conflict between you and them at points in time. And the way that you have to deal with that is to have that amazing vision and being able to be far-sighted and be patient with people's harm. And Allah knows best. Some travelers from Midian, Midian on their way to Egypt came that way and camped close to the well bit where Yusuf was and then dispatched their water drawer to fetch them water. He let his bucket down into the well and Yusuf held on to it and was brought out of the well. When he saw him, he said, Good news. Read as Bushra or Bushrai. This expression is metaphorical and means something like, Look at this, my ship has come in. He said, Good news for me. I found this boy. That informed his fellows and they took him and concealed what had happened. They then hid him away among their goods. They said, This is a runaway slave. 
Yusuf remained silent out of fear that they would kill him. Allah knew very well what they were doing. They sold him for a pittance, a few small coins, meaning a cheap price, reckoned to be between 20 and 22 dirhams. Considering him to be of little worth. When the caravan reached Egypt, the one who had brought him then sold him for 20 dinars, a pair of sandals and two garments. In verses 19 and 20, now Yusuf والسلام, is discovered by these travelers who come and they draw him out of the well. They come to draw water as the older brother of Yusuf anticipated would happen. And Yusuf clings onto the bucket and he comes out and he emerges. Yusuf والسلام, when he is seen, the man says good news. Bushra or Bushraya. Bushra means good news. Bushraya means good news for me. And I think there's a mistranslation here. The, author, the translator says that it means something like, look at this, my ship has come in. And the word ship uh, has come in isn't what Siyuti rahimahullah ta'ala says. Siyuti says that the word bushra, good news, means that this is my time. My time has come. Meaning, this is my fortune, good fortune that has come to me. So the word, this is my ship that has come in, seems to be a mistranslation. And Allah knows best. The scholars of tafsir concerning 19 and 20 differ as to who it is that is saying this, that they hid him away amongst their goods, that they sold him for a few coins. Who is it that's doing this? The first opinion of Imam al-Tabari and others, rahimahullah, is that it is the people of the caravan. They're like, okay, we've got this child, we can make him into a slave, we can make some money. They're the ones who are rejoicing, they're the ones who are selling him for a pittance. And the other position amongst the scholars, such as Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, is that it is the brothers of Yusuf that are doing this. So once they throw him into the well and leave him for dead, they don't go home. But before they go home and that interaction with their father and the false blood and everything else, they go a distance and they wait to see what will happen. And then when they see that people have come and drawn him out to ensure that those people don't come and say, well, he's the last child, let us take him home. Let us try to find his parents. They come and say, this is our slave who's escaped, he's run away. And so he's worthless to us. He keeps running away from us, fleeing. So we're willing to sell him for any amount of price. And so they sold him for whatever they could get. Which, if it is the first case of the caravan people doing this, then it is a testament to their evil. That when they see that child, rather than helping him and trying to reunite him with his parents, they think of him as a commodity that they can buy and sell. And the Prophet ﷺ said that from the worst of people is the one who takes a free person and sells them into slavery. And, according to the second opinion, that it is the brothers, and this is their evil upon evil. That it's not just that they're going to kill him, but that they're going to harm him, but they want to be sure that they're rid of him for good, and they're willing to sell him into slavery and do more harm to him. And so when Yusuf thinks that perhaps my safety has come, I will be reunited with my parents, they have another plot to ensure that he can't go home. And Allah knows best. The Egyptian, Qutfir, the Aziz, who had brought him, told his wife, Zulaykha, look after him with honor and respect among our family. It is possible he will be of use to us or perhaps we might adopt him as a son. He was celibate. And thus, by saving Yusuf from being killed and rescuing him from the well and making the heart of the Aziz 
inclined towards him, we established Yusuf in the land of Egypt so that he could convey what he conveyed. And to teach him the true meaning of events, meaning dream interpretation. Allah is in control of his affair and has the power to do anything. What to do anything he wishes. But most of mankind, meaning the unbelievers, do not know that. In, in, in verse number 21, these names that are mentioned of the Aziz and the wife, Allah knows best, but it's mentioned in the Israelite tradition that these are their names, and Allah Azza wa knows best. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did do for the Prophet Isa, for the Prophet Yusuf السلام, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that when he would be sold into slavery, he's not just sold into any random house, but the house of the Aziz. And the Aziz is the Prime Minister, there's a king of the land, and this is the man who runs the government day to day. It's called the Aziz. In our time, it will be called a Prime Minister. The Aziz of Egypt. It's his household that he is sold into from all of the houses of Egypt. Just as when Allah Azza wa will mention to us the story of Musa salam with Pharaoh and Musa is placed in the river Nile from all of the places that he could stop, Allah decrees that he stops at the palace of Pharaoh. And that is Allah Azza wa showing his divine care and protection and showing how Allah Azza wa has a greater plan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a greater plan for us often in these calamities and difficulties and challenges and trials, a plan that we cannot see. And Allah will only open us, open up for us certain doors and close others so that we will traverse the path that Allah Azza wa Jal wants us to fulfill. And then when he became a full-grown man of 30 or 33 years of age, we gave him knowledge, meaning knowledge of the deen before endowing him with prophethood and right judgment, meaning wisdom too. وَكَذَلِكَ نَجْزِي الْمُحْسِنِينَ that is how we reward all doers of good. And, and, and there is a difference of opinion as these ages. Again, there's nothing authentic. And there are many, many uh, opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir as to his age. Was it younger than even this or was it older? And Allah Azza wa knows best. The woman whose house it was, meaning Zulaikha, solicited him to have sexual intercourse with her. She barred the doors of the room and said, Come over here. Read as, He said, Allah is my refuge. I seek refuge in Allah from doing that. He, meaning the one who brought me, is my Lord and has been good to me with where I live. And I will not betray him with his wife. Those who do wrong by committing adultery will surely not succeed. She wanted to have sexual intercourse with him. And he would have wanted to with her had he not seen the clear proof of his Lord. Ibn Abbas said that the form of Yaqub appeared to him and struck him in the chest and the desire left him through his fingertips. Happens that demonstration to him of the clear proof happens so we might avert from him all evil, meaning treachery and lust, meaning fornication. He was one of our sincere slaves, read as Mukhlasin and also Mukhlisin, meaning one of our chosen slaves with respect to obedience. In verse number 24, Allah Azza says, 
she wanted him and he would have wanted her. And the scholars differ greatly concerning this. Does it mean that he had just a thought because he's human and there's a natural thought to have? And then he turns away, meaning it's just a thought that comes, a whim that comes into his mind, then he dismisses. And we know from the Prophet ﷺ that Allah has forgiven for this ummah. The thoughts that we have so long, as they don't become more than thoughts, they don't become intentions, they don't become solid convictions, they don't lead into action or saying. If it is a thought that transpires and then you dismiss it, it isn't something that a person is how to account for. That is one position amongst the scholars of tafsir. The other position amongst the scholars of tafsir is that what he means is and he would have wanted to with her means, means that he would have wanted to strike her. Meaning had she advanced, she wanted him. What he would have done is he would have struck her or pushed her back or in some way warded her off physically. And as some of the scholars of tafsir said that seems like a distant tafsir because the context of the verse doesn't seem to be pointing to that. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And the opinion of Muhammad al-Abin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah and others is that had, as you have the translation here, had he not seen the clear proofs of his Lord, then he would have wanted her. Meaning that even the thought did not occur to him because he already knew of the proofs of his Lord and the signs of Allah Azza wa Jal. So therefore we have those three opinions. The first one is that he has the thought, but then he sees the signs and he dismisses it. The second is that it's referring to him physically warding her off or pushing her back. The third is that he doesn't even have the thought because he already has the sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah azza wa jalla knows best. And as for uh, Ibn Abbas saying that it was Yaqub that he saw in front of him, others said that it was some writing that he saw on a wall, and others said that she became ugly, others said in his eyes that she became ugly, others said that she... Uh, covered up an idol that she was worshipping and he said to her why are you doing that and she said because I don't want him to see us doing this wrong and he thought to himself what if that's an idol then I should fear Allah more there are many of these opinions and Allah Azza wa knows best about them Al-Imam Al-Tabari said there is nothing authentic reported but what Allah is saying that he saw a sign and Allah knows best what that sign is they raised the door Yusuf hurried to it to escape and she tried to hold on to him she grabbed his garment and pulled him to her. وَقَدَّتْ قَمِيصَهُ مِنْ دُبُرٍ And so she tore his shirt at the back. وَأَلْفَيَا سَيِّدَهَا لَدَ الْبَابِ They met her husband by the door. She said that she was innocent. قَالَتْ مَا جَزَاءُ مَنْ أَرَادَ بِأَهْلِكَ سُوءًا إِلَّا أَنْ يُسْجَنَ أَوْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ She then said, How should a man whose intention was to harm your family by committing adultery be punished for what he did except with prison or painful punishment by, be, by being beaten. Yusuf said that he was innocent. He said, it was she who tried to seduce me. A witness from her people, her cousin, and it is reported that he was still in the cradle when he said this, then declared, if his shirt is torn in front, she speaks the truth. And he has clearly told a shameless lie. In verse 26 of Surah Yusuf, we have this statement of a Suthi rahimahullah ta'ala concerning who is this witness that is being referred to. And this narration of it being a boy in the cradle seems to be weak and Allah knows best. And we know from the authentic hadith that the Prophet said that there were three that spoke in the cradle and this child is not from amongst them. But Imam Al-Tabari holds the opinion ta'ala, that the witness was a young boy in the household of Aziz, another servant, a boy that saw or he 
he gave this statement concerning that. Another opinion is that it was her cousin, as mentioned by Asyuti also. That is the opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir. And another opinion, and a third opinion is that it was from the advisors of the king. An advisor of the king who came and gave this judgment. Look at how the shirt is ripped, and from the way that it is ripped and the manner of its ripping, you will be able to determine who is speaking the truth and who is speaking wrong. And Allah Azza wa knows best. وَإِنْ كَانَ قَمِيصُهُ قُدَّ مِنْ دُبُرٍ فَكَذَبَتْ وَهُوَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ If his shirt is torn at the back, then she has lied. And he has clearly told the simple truth. فَلَمَّا رَأَى قَمِيصَهُ قُدَّ مِنْ دُبُرٍ قَالَ إِنَّهُ مِنْ كَيْدِكُنَّ He, meaning her husband, saw the shirt torn at the back and said, The source of this, meaning what she said about punishing Yusuf, is women's deviousness. Without a doubt, your girl is very great. So what the witness said is, look at how the shirt is torn. If the shirt is torn from the front, that means that he's facing her and she's trying to protect herself from him. And if the shirt is torn from the back, that means he's trying to escape from her and she's trying to pull him back. And it was from the back that it was torn. Then he continued, Yusuf, Yusuf, ignore all this business and do not mention it so that it does not spread. And you, Zulaikha, should ask forgiveness for your evil act. There is no doubt that you are in the wrong, meaning sinful in respect of what you have done. وَقَالَ نِسْوَةٌ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ امْرَأَةُ الْعَزِيزِ تُرَاوِدُ فَتَاهَا عَنْ نَفْسِهِ Some city women in the city of Egypt said the governor's wife solicited her slave. قَدْ شَغَفَهَا حُبَّا He has fired her heart with love. The word used here, شَغَفَ, means to cause to love violently and is derived from شَغَف, the pericardium or covering of the heart. إِنَّا لَنَرَاهَا فِي ضَلَالٍ we see that she is the one to blame. We see that she is the one who is in error and it is clear that she is in love with him. And that is because in verse number 30, the rumor now spreads across Egypt because now of this incident that's taken place, the people here and the women that are being referred to are the women of the nobility. Not everyone, but the nobility who know her, who know of her situation and so on. And as it was the custom then, it was considered unbecoming that a woman in her position of her wealth, of her beauty, of her station would be trying to have relations with a servant who's just a servant, he's a slave, owns nothing, possesses nothing, has nothing. And so they began to speak about her and to spread rumors concerning her. And they said, قَدْ شَغَفَهَا حُبَّا Her love for him has engulfed her heart, made her, is completely taken her over. فَلَمَّا سَمِعَتْ بِمَكْرِهِنَّ أَرْسَلَتْ إِلَيْهِنَّ وَأَعْتَدَتْ لَهُنَّ مُتَّكَأَ but when she heard of their malicious talk and slander of her, she sent for them and made a sumptuous meal, meaning prepared a meal which had citrus fruits, citrus fruit in it, which require knives. And then she gave a knife to each of them. She said to Yusuf, go out to them. When they saw him, they were amazed by him and cut their hands with the knives but were unconscious, unconscious of the pain because they were so distracted by the sight of Yusuf. They said, Allah preserve us. This is no man. 
because of his beauty which was far greater than is normally seen in a human being. A hadith says he was given half of all beauty. In What can this be but a noble angel here? So when these women come, Allah says that when they saw Yusuf because the wife of Aziz wants to prove her point. Whilst they're spreading these rumors, she wants them to understand why she's so attached to Yusuf and that is because of his beauty. So she gives them knives and fruit. And Allah doesn't mention what type of fruit or what type of food, but it is something that they need a knife for. And Allah knows best. So when he comes out, they're amazed by him. And they cut off or they cut their hands. And the scholars here differ. Did they cut all of their hands? Meaning they cut their hand off, which is one opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir. A second opinion is that they cut off their fingers or some of their fingers. And the third opinion, which seems to be more apparent and Allah knows best, and that is the one that you see uh, here in the translation, is that they cut their hands. Not that they cut it off, but that they injured themselves, meaning they cut their hand, but they didn't realize that it was bleeding or that they had, they felt any pain because they were so overcome by the beauty of Yusuf And the hadith that is mentioned here is the authentic hadith in Al-Bukhari of the Isra and the Mi'raj that the Prophet said that when he saw Yusuf he saw that Yusuf and his mother had been given half of beauty. She, Zulaykha said, when she saw what they had done, you see, it is him you blame me for loving. وَلَقَدْ رَاوَدْتُهُ عَن نَفْسِهِ فَاسْتَعْصَمُ I tried seducing him, but he refused. وَلَئِن لَّمْ يَفْعَلْ مَا آمُرُهُ لَيُسْجَنَنَّ وَلَيَكُونَ مِّنَ الصَّاغِرِينَ If he does not do what I order him, he will be put in prison and brought low and abased. They said to him, Obey your mistress. قَالَ رَبِّ السِّجْنُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِمَّا يَدْعُونَنِي إِلَيْهِ He said, My Lord, Prison is preferable to me rather than what they call on me to do. Unless you turn the girl away from me, it may well be that I will fall for them and incline towards them, and so become a man of ignorance, meaning a sinner. This is a supplication to Allah. Allah then says, And this shows you the iman of Yusuf that he rather would choose prison than to sin and disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the position of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that the Prophets of Allah do not commit major sins. They don't commit major sins. And so a Prophet of Allah will not sin in this way. He wouldn't commit adultery. He wouldn't steal. He wouldn't murder and so on and so forth. And so Allah Azza wa says that the Prophet Yusuf chose prison. And this is a further test upon him. After the test of being abandoned by his family, his brothers, after the test of being left for dead in a while, after the test of being sold into slavery and bondage, now is a further test, and that is that he will be imprisoned for nothing that is his fault. His Lord replied to him, being to his supplication, and turned away from him their female guile and deviousness. He is the one who hears all words, the one who knows all actions. Then, after they had seen the signs which made it clear to them that Yusuf was innocent, they thought that they should still imprison him for a time to stop people talking, and they did so. 
Two servants of the king entered prison along with him. One, one was a cupbearer and the other in charge of the royal food. They said, we will test him. One, meaning the cupbearer said, I dreamt that I was pressing grapes. The other, meaning the one in charge of food, said, I dreamt I carried bread upon my head and birds were eating it. Tell us the true meaning of these dreams and interpret them. We see that you are one of the righteous. In verse 36, these two young men that are with Yusuf in prison says one was a cupbearer and the other in charge of the royal food. And that is the statement of Qatada from the scholars of the Tabi'in. That both of them were servants of the king. One used to pour the wine of the king and the other used to prepare the food of the king. And there's narrations as to why they ended up in prison. What is it that they're doing? And one of those narrations is that one of them attempted to poison the king. But they didn't know which one, so both of them were in prison until they could decide which one was guilty and which one was innocent. And Allah knows best. Again, as is often in the Quran and as we mentioned before, Allah doesn't mention those details because they distract you from the point of the story. It's not important who they were, what they did, how they ended up in prison. But what is important is the lesson that we will learn from the way that Yusuf interacts with them during his time in prison. And as for the statement that he says, Rahimahullah, we will test him. That is also a narration amongst the scholars of tafsir. Two opinions. One is that they actually saw the dreams. These are real dreams that they saw and they wanted to interpret it. And the other is that they didn't see them but they made them up. And it was done as a test to see the righteousness of Yusuf And what seems more apparent from the Quran and Allah knows best is that they were actual dreams that they saw. And it wasn't just something which they did just to test him. And Allah knows best. قال لا يأتيكما طعام ترزقانه إلا نبأتكما بتأويله قبل أن يأتيكما. He said to them to inform them that he knew the interpretation of dreams. No meal to feed you will arrive before I have informed you what they mean. ذلكما مما علمني ربي. That is part of what my Lord taught me. He said this to encourage them to believe. إِنِّي تَرَكْتُ مِلَّةَ قَوْمٍ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَهُمْ بِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ كَافِرُونَ For I have left the religion of a people who clearly do not believe in Allah and who disbelieve in the world to come. وَاتَّبَعْتُ مِلَّةَ آبَائِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ I hold fast to the creed of my forebears, Ibrahim and Ishaq and Ya'qub. مَا كَانَ لَنَا أَن نُشْرِكَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ We do not associate anything with Allah because we are protected from doing so. ذَلِكَ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ عَلَيْنَا وَعَلَى النَّاسِ And that understanding of Allah's unity is how Allah has favored us and all mankind. وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَشْكُرُونَ Yet most, meaning the unbelievers, do not give thanks but commit shirk. Then he clearly calls on them to believe. So as we can see, Yusuf السلام, before he starts to interpret their dream, he calls them to the worship of Allah and tells them what Tawheed means. 
despite the difficulty of the situation and that is the beautiful lesson that we take from the prophets that they understand that whatever hardship may come whatever difficulty and challenge may come upon us the basis of a person's existence in this world is to worship Allah and so long as they're firm upon that tawheed and worshipping Allah then every challenge is insignificant and every hardship is trivial in that face but the greatest of calamities is that a person leaves the path of tawheed turns away from Allah even if they have no challenge and so the prophets of Allah understand this Yusuf is giving them da'wah, calling them to Allah, explaining to them what it means to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And also because one of the greatest means of extracting yourself from hardship and challenge and calamity is the tawheed of Allah Azza wa As will be mentioned in Surah Al-Anbiya in the, in the dua of Yunus. La ilaha illa anta subhanak, inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. There is no greater dua that you can make and call upon Allah with then the dua of Tawheed and asking Allah by mentioning His oneness subhanahu wa ta'ala because there is nothing greater more beloved to Allah than His Tawheed subhanahu wa ta'ala and so it serves a dual purpose number one is calling them to Tawheed but number two is that it is also one of the ways in which a person overcomes trial and difficulty يَا صَاحِبَيِ السِّجْنِ أَأَرْبَابٌ مُتَفَرِّقُونَ خَيْرٌ أَمِ اللَّهُ الْوَاحِدُ الْقَهَّارُ My fellow prisoners, are many lords better? Or Allah, the only one, the conqueror? This is a question which demands an affirmative response. مَا تَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِهِ إِلَّا أَسْمَاءً سَمِّيْتُمُوهَا أَنْتُمْ وَآبَاءُكُمْ what, meaning the idols you serve, apart from him, are only names which you and your forefathers have made up. مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ بِهَا مِن سُلْطَانٍ There is no mandate, meaning evidence or proof, from Allah for worshipping them. إِنِ الْحُكْمُ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ Allah alone is qualified to judge. أَمَرَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهِ His order is to worship none but him. ذَٰلِكَ الدِّينُ الْقَيِّمُ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ That understanding of the divine unity is in truth, the straight and upright deen. But most of mankind, meaning the unbelievers, do not know the punishment which awaits them, and so they continue to worship others besides Allah. يَا صَاحِبَيْ السِّجْنِ أَمَّا أَحَدُكُمَا فَيَسْقِي رَبَّهُ خَمْرًا my fellow captives, one of you, meaning the cupbearer, will serve his lord with wine, as was his custom, and he was indeed released three days later. The other of you will be crucified, and birds will eat his head. This was the interpretation of their dreams. They said, we have not really seen anything in dream. He said, the thing you asked about is foreordained, whether you're telling the truth or lying. In verse 41, that is the opinion then that the Suyuti seems to have, that they weren't telling the truth, but that they made this up, the dreams. And Yusuf tells them the interpretation of the dreams that they gave. The one who sees that he's pouring wine for his Lord, it means that you will be released and you will go back to your normal role. And the one who sees that he is crucified and that birds are eating, uh, or that birds are eating bread from his head, it means that he will be crucified because he was the one who was guilty of whatever the crime was. And on the opinion that they were telling the truth, that they were making this up, he says, irrespective of whether you were telling the truth or not, this is what will happen. And on the other opinion of the scholars that they were telling the truth, then obviously it is clearer that this is the interpretation of your dream. 
وقال للذي ظن أنه ناج منه مذكرني عند ربك He said to, to the one of them he knew The word for he knew here ظنه which normally implies uncertainty Here implies certainty Was saved meaning the cupbearer Please mention me when you are with your Lord And tell him that there is someone wrongfully imprisoned فَأَنْسَاهُ الشَّيْطَانُ ذِكْرَ رَبِّهِ But shaytan made him forget to remind his Lord about Yusuf فَلَبِثَ فِي السِّجْنِ بِضْعَ سِنِينَ And so he, meaning Yusuf, stayed in prison for several years Between 7 and 12 years So in verse 42, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then finishes this portion of the story That as for the one he knew would finish and he would go back to the king and he would be saved He said to him, when you go, tell him of my situation Tell him that it's something that he needs to look into and that shows the permissibility of seeking help from those people who can help you and have the power to do so from the living that you can ask them for their assistance and for their help but shaitan made him forget because Allah Azza wa wanted him to spend longer in that time in prison because that is from the challenges and the trials that he would have so he stayed there for several years some said seven, some said twelve. The word bid, according to Mujahid rahimahullah, refers to a number between three and nine. And usually when in the Quran a range is given in terms of the prophets and their trials, it is the upper side of that range that is being referred to. So he stayed there for approximately nine years. And then the story will move on to the king and how he is taken out from prison and his elevation by the permission of Allah Azza wa in the land of Egypt. But inshallah ta'ala we will leave that for our session tomorrow and we will stop here at verse number 42. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.